This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. This is the weekly podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and technology components of change. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here today and also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting Group. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And you can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as streaming to audio podcast platforms throughout the world. You can also just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see and hear the most recent episodes, as well as our back catalog of past episodes as well. Again, that's transformationgroundcontrol.com, where you can find those episodes. We've got an exciting show for you today, a lot of uh, deep dive materials into digital strategy. So we're going to talk here today about some of the things that constitute an effective and technology agnostic objective digital strategy, one that's right-sized for your organization, one that's tailored for who you are as an organization, one that's aligned with who you are as an organization. And that's what we want to talk about today. We're going to play you a bunch of different materials here today in today's show, uh, including a lot of guests in those clips that we're going to play you here today that all have everything to do with digital strategy. So if you're trying to define your strategy and roadmap for 2024 and beyond, you're in the right place. We're going to cover everything that we could possibly think of within this episode. In fact, this is less of a podcast episode and more of a deep dive masterclass sort of thing. Um, so we're going to go pretty deep into some of these uh, digital strategy contents here. But first, uh, just to give you a preview of what we'll cover here today in today's show, episode number 141, we're going to do a deep dive into digital strategy, what digital strategy is. And we're actually going to unpack a framework that we use at Third Stage Consulting to help our clients define their digital strategies and roadmaps. So we're going to play you a clip from my YouTube channel that dives into what digital strategy is. And then we're also going to get into another clip that talks about uh, some of the questions you should ask and questions you need to answer as part of defining your digital strategy. And then we're also going to feature an interview with Scott Janke, who is a director of strategy and transformation here at Third Stage Consulting. And he's going to be on the show talking about the difference between theory and reality or theory and execution of digital strategy. So he's going to help us sort of bridge that gap between what sounds good in theory and what actually happens when you get boots on the ground with defining these strategies and roadmaps. We're also going to cover tech trends. So we're going to talk about some of the tech trends that you should be aware of as you define your digital strategy and roadmap. We're going to feature a panel discussion about strategy and planning. There's going to be several different team members from the third stage consulting team that will be featured in that clip. And then finally, last but not least, arguably most importantly, stick around to the end because we're going to talk about change strategies. Uh, top five change strategies that you should be aware of and should be thinking about as you get started on your digital transformation journey. So to start, just to set the context, I want to play you this clip of a digital strategy deep dive. And this is a video, a whiteboard video I did on my YouTube channel several months ago. And it's where I sort of dive into a framework for digital strategy 
in defining a digital roadmap. And this is the same framework we use when we're advising our clients and helping them define their digital strategies and roadmaps. And I wanted to play this clip because it really sets the context for what digital strategy is, but at the same time dives into some of the key components and describes some of those key components in detail. So this is about a 20 minute clip and uh, let's go ahead and roll the clip and we'll use this as a way to set the context for the rest of the episode where we're going to dive into some different nuances and different angles of digital strategy, but this is meant to be sort of a, a good starting point overview. So let's roll the clip of the digital strategy deep dive video. And one of the early engagements that we typically get involved with our clients on is helping them define their digital strategy and roadmap. And oftentimes when organizations are defining their digital strategy, they want to jump directly into the technology and define what that technology roadmap is. And while this is an important aspect of digital strategy, there's a lot more that goes into defining a successful digital strategy that goes well beyond technology. We need to look at the strategic implications, the operational side of things, the organizational side of things, as well as other components that are critical to making your digital transformation successful. So what I want to do today is unpack a digital strategy framework that we use with our clients to help organizations and project teams understand what the different things are that they should be considering and thinking about and addressing as part of the definition of their digital strategy. Now, before I get started, I encourage you to download two different resources I'm gonna provide. One is if you are interested in this visual that I'm about to go through with you here today, I've included my email address below and you can actually email me, I'll send you these slides that I'm about to go through. Secondly, I encourage you to read my book that's called Lessons from 1000 Digital Transformations. This is a book that outlines some of the best practices from a strategic perspective, as well as an implementation perspective in helping over a thousand clients through their implementations in recent years. You can read that book by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you, or you can go to the links below to download this and other resources that I've provided for you. So when we're defining our digital strategy, there's a number of work streams that we need to think about. And the first one I want to talk about right now is business process management. This isn't necessarily the first thing that happens sequentially. As you can see, a lot of these things are going to happen in parallel, but this is the work stream I want to focus on to start, which is business process management. In order to define a digital strategy that makes the most sense for our organization and one that's most aligned with where we are today and where we're headed in the future, one of the key things you need to do to accomplish that is to focus on your current state and your future state business processes. I'm not going to dive into how to do this, but for more information about business process best practices, there's a video I'm going to direct you to right here. If you click on this link right here, it's a link to a video about how to handle business process improvement, how to do business process mapping as part of your digital transformation. In that video, I go into a lot more detail about how to go about this and some of the nuances of defining your current state and future state. But for today's purposes, all I'll mention is that you want to make sure you start with the current state so you know where you're starting from and you understand the strengths and the weaknesses of where you are today, as well as the future state business processes that you would like to get out of your digital strategy. Once you've done these two activities, that's where you start to look at the potential business process improvements and you might even start deploying some business process improvements in parallel with selecting and deploying technologies. In other words, you don't necessarily need to wait until you find new technology to implement all of your process improvements, even though many of them will be enabled by new technologies, there's certain incremental improvements you can make to your processes now to help you get immediate value and to help set you on the course to that future state in the meantime. And at the very least, it gives you a roadmap 
and a future state that you can build an entire transformation plan around after you've defined the differences in the delta between your current state and your future state. So business process management is a critical part of any sort of digital strategy that you might need to define. Now the next work stream worth talking about as it relates to digital strategy is your organizational change management. A lot of times organizations erroneously think that change management is something we don't need to worry about until later. This is something we do once we pick the technology, once we start training people on technology, that's where we start to worry about the people side of things. That's a big mistake. Reason for that is because in order to understand what your digital strategy is, what the most effective digital strategy is going to be for your organization, you need to understand the current lay of the land organizationally. Who are you today culturally? What are the strengths and weaknesses of your culture? What do you want that culture to be in the future? And ultimately, what do you want your organization and your people to look like in the future? If we don't do that, then we don't really know what our digital strategy is, and we don't really know what our digital transformation is going to look like. We'll be guessing at best if we don't do that organizational change piece of it starting in the digital strategy phase. But we don't do everything related to change management up front. We just do the early stages of change management. And those early stages include organizational assessment. This is where you look at the culture and the strengths and weaknesses of your current state. And you start to identify what the potential pitfalls are that might hinder your progress in your digital transformation. You also begin to look at the organizational impact. What are those things that are going to change as a result of moving to the future state of business processes that you've defined up here? So, so far, you know, as we go through this process, we're defining in parallel what the process improvements are. We're going to come down to enterprise applications here in a minute, but we're also starting to look at technologies and starting to get a better vision of what technology or technologies might be used to enable our transformation, which then in turn informs us on what our organizational impact is going to be. And again, we need to know how big of an impact we're talking. Are we talking this much change to our people or this much change? Depending on what that degree of change is, that's going to drive and determine what our overall digital strategy needs to look like and what our deployment plan needs to look like. And then finally, in the early digital strategy phase of a project, once we've done the organizational assessment and the organizational impact, now we can look at and build an organizational change plan that is specific to us and who we are and who we're trying to be as an organization. Now, there's a lot more I didn't cover here as it relates to change management. I could spend an entire video talking about change management. In fact, I have talked about change management in multiple videos. So I'm going to link a playlist right here. It's a playlist to an organizational change management series of videos that I have on my YouTube channel in a great amount of detail that will help you understand what some of these activities are. But for the time being, these are some of the main activities that you want to start on from a change management perspective as you define your digital strategy. A third work stream that's running in parallel with business process management and with organizational change management is the enterprise applications work stream. And this is really the more technical, the more software focused aspect of our digital strategy. And I think this is probably the one that's most intuitive, especially if you're a CIO or an IT person. This is the one that's very tangible. You can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it. You can contact vendors, start getting demos, and really start to get your hands on what technology could do for your business or what technology options are out there. So it's an important work stream, but it's not the only one as we're talking about here throughout this video. So the first thing that we do is we define our digital strategy as we start to look at the software industry landscape. We look at you know, what are our different major options. At this point, we're probably not going deep into a software evaluation or deep into a software selection, but instead what we're doing is defining our alternatives at a high level. 
For example, some alternatives include a tier one ERP system, like SAP or Oracle, for example. That's one option. Another option might be a best of breed model where we go find a best of breed financial and accounting solution, a best of breed work management or warehouse management software, best of breed CRM or HCM software, just different types of technologies. Best of breed is one alternative. We could make the decision of whether we buy versus build, custom develop solutions, a lot of different options we have. So at this point, what we're doing is we're looking at high level paths that we can take and high level alternatives so that we can ultimately assess the pros and cons of each and determine which one is best aligned with our overall corporate or organizational strategy. So this is where we look at those strategic alternatives and the roadmaps. You look at what the different implementation timeframes are, the implementation budgets or the estimated budgets, the risk profiles, the potential business value and ROI. Again, we're looking really high level. We're not getting into demos yet. We're not talking to software vendors necessarily to do deep dive understandings of the software, but instead we're assessing the pros and cons of these different alternatives that we have at a high level. And then from there, this is where you start to look at a short list. This is where we start to narrow it from a long list to a short list to where we do identify what those specific alternatives are that we might dive into either as part of our digital strategy or it could end up being a separate software evaluation and selection that happens after digital strategy. A lot of it just depends on where you are as an organization and how urgent you're moving as an organization. Once you've defined that short list, this is where you start to look at the technology recommendations and the implementation roadmap and plan. And again, when you get to this part right here, this is a part that you might push out to a separate software evaluation phase, especially if you're not certain that you're gonna move forward with the digital transformation. It may be that you push this out until you know that you have alignment and approval for moving forward with the transformation. But more often than not, organizations define their recommendation or their suggested software along with an implementation timeline and cost as part of their digital strategy. So these are some of the major things you wanna think about and evaluate as part of the technical enterprise application component of your digital strategy. Now next, another component of our digital strategy should be the solution architecture. How will our technical solutions that we've looked at here, how will these technical solutions fit into the overall architecture? And this is where we look at how we're gonna integrate systems, how we're gonna manage data, how we're gonna handle business analytics, business intelligence, reporting, things of that nature. And it's a way for us to really lay out that technology roadmap. How are the various moving parts going to fit together into a cohesive technology roadmap and technology strategy within our digital transformation or our digital strategy. Now, a lot of organizations think, well, I don't need to really worry about this because I'm just gonna go pick one ERP system. If you do that, if you're able to pull that off, you're one of a tiny fraction of organizations that can actually do that because most organizations end up with multiple systems. Even if they want a single ERP system, they inevitably end up with some legacy systems or third-party bolt-ons that they have to maintain for regulatory purposes or because the integrated ERP system won't do what they need it to do, so therefore they end up with other bolt-ons. Or even if you do end up with a single ERP system, integrated system, you're not gonna implement it all at once. You're gonna have to slowly decommission systems and move on to the new system. So for all those reasons, you need to have a clear technology roadmap that looks at solution architecture. So this is where you look at the, the current architecture, how the future state is gonna look, what the impact is gonna be, what sorts of technology initiatives and work streams and tasks you need to include in your detailed implementation plan that will come later. And then you have your recommended architecture, which includes your change plan and your cost from a technology perspective. 
Now, one thing that's worth noting is that when we're looking at current architecture, the architectural impact, and the future state recommended architecture, we're not just looking at physical architecture, we're also looking at IT skills. So we're looking at our IT department and looking at what skills do we have today? What's that infrastructure organizationally that we have to support a digital transformation and technology going forward? And what is it we would need going forward? And what are the gaps? We can reskill our existing staff. We could hire existing staff. We could bring in a managed service provider to provide some of those competencies or some hybrid or combination of all the above. So when we look at solution architecture, it's not just physical architecture, it's also looking at your organizational infrastructure and architecture as well. We're here playing you a clip of a digital strategy framework. We're gonna keep diving into this in more detail, but first we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high-growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see past weekly episodes that you might have missed. We're in the midst of playing you a clip about a digital strategy deep dive, diving into the digital strategy framework that we use with our clients just to help set the context for what digital strategy is. And then later in the show, we'll get into some more details as well. But let's go ahead and finish this clip first. Now, a digital transformation is only as good and valuable as the information and the insights we get from new technologies and new processes. And that's why business intelligence and analytics is so important and why you should call it out as a separate work stream. Especially in today's day and age of artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, and all these great tools that you can use to really leverage and harness the power of the data that you've accumulated as an organization over years and decades. For that reason, you want to really focus on business intelligence and analytics. So here's where we identify what our analytical requirements are. You start with your current state. What are the reports that we need to have to run our business today? And what's the information that we're missing? What are those reports that in a perfect world we would have? We would have insights and real-time visibility into that sort of thing. So we really want to understand what those requirements are. And this is where we can get real creative and think quantum leap type improvements with AI, predictive analytics, and that sort of thing that'll help you have better business intelligence and analytics than you might have had in the past. You then want to define what your future state requirements are in terms of predictive analytics and data requirements, any sort of technology best practices. And then ultimately you want to define what your analytics roadmap is. What is it going to cost to leverage the BI capabilities of technologies you're deploying? Or if there's a standalone BI or analytical tool set you're going to deploy as part of a transformation or in addition to the core technologies, you want to understand what that tool set looks like, what the costs are, the software requirements, and what the deployment plan is. So it's a little bit similar to this enterprise app workstream we talked about up here. These two are very similar, but here we're focused on the overall analytics and BI and reporting. 
capabilities. Here you're talking about the core back office, core workflow based technologies. But you generally want to call these out because oftentimes this part gets overlooked and we tend to myopically focus here and not focus enough on the BI and analytical reporting part of our digital transformation. Now, the last work stream that runs in parallel, starting here in digital strategy, and actually this work stream continues all the way through your transformation, or at least it should, and that is your project quality assurance. This is the risk mitigation framework, the project governance, the resourcing, the overall QA processes and frameworks that are gonna help ensure that your project stays on track. And again, this is something that becomes very important as you get into the deeper implementation activities downstream, but it's also important even as you're getting started on the project. It's good to build this muscle memory to start to understand and establish this governance and the project charter and the quality assurance and the risk mitigation mechanisms. They're gonna ensure that you keep this phase of the project on track, but even more importantly, it keeps future phases of the project on track as well. It also allows you to understand what this framework is gonna look like as you get into the execution of the digital transformation so you can create a plan and a project charter and a resource estimate that reflects the realities of what it is you're gonna deploy from a quality assurance perspective. And this is something that you might wanna rely on third-party independent technology agnostic partners, companies like Third Stage Consulting who do this all the time for a living and have seen hundreds or thousands of different implementations throughout the world. You can leverage people like us to provide that objective view of what sorts of governance are gonna be most effective for you. And more importantly, identify and mitigate the risks that are likely to disrupt or derail the transformation if you don't get a good handle on it. So this is a deeper dive into what some of these different work streams are within a digital strategy framework. But it's also helpful to look at, without getting into too much detail, what happens next. What are those downstream activities that come right after a digital strategy project. And I wanna just give you a preview of what happens next. So once you've defined your digital strategy and roadmap, now you start to define what is the detailed plan to get us ready and to get us prepared for a more detailed implementation. So this is the point right here. Imagine a little milestone right here. We've finished our digital strategy phase of the project and now we're getting into implementation readiness. So now we take everything that we've done over here on the left side in our digital strategy engagement, all that stuff I just talked about, now we get into implementation readiness. And you start to see a lot of the similar work streams here. You've got the operational side of things, which is the business process management from the previous slide. People readiness coincides with the organizational change piece. Technical readiness coincides with the enterprise applications and the business intelligence and the architecture pieces. And then of course, project governance, planning and quality assurance is an extension of that quality assurance work stream that I talked about before. So really the only new one here that we tend to focus on is strategic and executive alignment. And quite frankly, oftentimes the strategic and executive alignment starts in the digital strategy phase, but a lot of organizations will wait until they have a clearer roadmap to then start to define in more detail what the overall strategic and executive alignment looks like. So this is where we make sure that we've got our stakeholders and executives on board and aligned with what this project is gonna be and how we're gonna execute the strategy that we've defined in terms of the implementation. When we get into operational readiness, now we get deeper into the business processes. We define in more detail what the business requirements are. We start to get deeper into further flushing out what the business processes are. We're not getting down into the detail yet of defining business processes at the transactional level within the software, but we're starting to get flush out more detail that defines 
now that we know what the software is going to be or what the technologies are going to be, what are the different pieces of the business processes going to look like to support that technology implementation? And then people readiness too. Now that we've defined the organizational readiness in the organizational change plan during the digital strategy phase, now we start to get deeper into defining the change team. We start to identify the skills, competencies that we need to develop as an organization. We start to get into future state organizational and role design. We start to define transformation communications plan, the organizational design of what the future state organization is going to look like. And this is all really important stuff, especially if we're materially changing or restructuring our business as part of a digital transformation. If your goal is to standardize business processes and centralize certain functions within a global organization, for example, this piece right here is really important. And if we don't do this up front, by the way, if we push this out to implementation out here, what happens is the implementation ends up taking way too much time and money because now you're spinning your wheels trying to figure this stuff out at the same time you're trying to build and deploy technology. So the more we can do up front from an organizational perspective and from an operational perspective for that matter, the more we're going to save time and money later on down here. And then technical readiness too. This is where we start to get our ducks in a row with building out our IT organization, the architecture that we need, as well as the data management and mobilizing a center of excellence to help us take ownership and control of the implementation and not be too dependent on our technical implementers. So again, this whole phase that we're talking about here is step one following digital strategy, but before we get into implementation. And that's a way for us to allow ourselves to build that competency and build that in-house knowledge to be able to be more effective and to have more ownership of the project as we get into implementation. And then finally, project governance and planning. This is something that we start to build out in more detail here. We build out the project charter, the detailed project plan, the resourcing. We make sure that we've not only taken the technology work stream or the technology proposal from our software vendor, but now we've built it out into a more complete program. So we've got the technology work stream that's, technically that's typically provided by our software vendor, but then we've got to round it out with all this other stuff to create a complete project plan, a complete project charter, and a complete governance approach and quality assurance approach to help make sure that the project is successful. All right, good stuff. So that is a framework of what digital strategy is, how you can define a digital strategy and roadmap for your organization, and just some of the things you should be thinking about as you define your digital strategy. And surprise, surprise, it's not all about the technology. There's a lot more to it than that, obviously, and that's why I wanted to play you that clip is to demonstrate how important the business process side of things are, how important the organizational change strategies are, how important business intelligence and analytics and program management and overall strategic alignment. All that stuff is so important to defining a digital strategy and it goes much beyond just defining new technologies and implementing new technologies within your organization. It goes a lot deeper than that. So that's really the intent of that video is to show you what some of the things are that you should be thinking about and as we shift gears and get into the next segment of this show, I want to dive now into what some of the questions are that you need to ask yourselves as an organization and make sure you answer and have clear alignment on those answers as a team as part of defining your digital strategy. So we're going to go a little bit deeper now and, and get into some of the finer nuances of some of the common questions that need to be answered. And we're going to play that clip when we come back from a quick break. But first, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. 
Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. My name is Eric Kimberling, CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and your host here today. You can find new episodes of this show every week, every Wednesday, at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can watch, you can listen, you can stream it, you can subscribe. Do all that stuff at transformationgroundcontrol.com. This is the digital strategy episode, and we're playing you a bunch of content related to how to define a digital strategy that's aligned with your corporate goals and objectives as an organization. So right before the break, we had just played you a clip of a digital strategy deep dive. Now we're gonna shift gears and talk about what are some of the questions that you need to ask as part of your digital strategy. And it's really important that you not only ask these questions, but have clear, concise, and aligned answers as a team. These are the questions that organizations oftentimes fail to ask themselves, but it's critical to ask yourselves these questions and make sure that you're all on the same page with what the answers are before you get too far down the path of starting to execute on your digital strategy. So I want to play this clip here while I, where I walk through several of the questions that organizations and digital transformation project teams need to dive into and understand. And so let's roll the clip. These are the top questions that you should ask as part of defining your digital strategy. And when going through a digital transformation, there's a lot of different decisions that need to be made. This may not sound like rocket science on the surface, and it's not rocket science, but so many organizations don't understand what those decisions are. And worse yet, they either don't make the proper decisions or they delay those decisions to the point where it delays the project. So what I want to do today is talk about some of those key decisions that need to be made. And keep in mind that these decisions are a way to create alignment and to create speed in your digital transformation. The sooner that you can arrive at these conclusions and decisions and get consensus as a team, the faster your digital transformation is going to go and the less headwinds you're going to face. The first big decision that an executive team and a project team needs to make is what is our operational and technology strategy? A lot of organizations think that our strategy is just to replace our old systems or to implement a modern ERP system. Those aren't good reasons. They, they might be reasons why you're deploying technology, but they're not decisions. Your decisions need to focus more on what is the impact we want to see to our operations? What sorts of technologies are going to best enable that strategy? And ultimately, these operational and technology strategies need to connect the dots to the overall corporate goals and objectives. So we need to translate the corporate goals and objectives into some meaningful decisions around what type of operational improvements we want to see and what type of technology we want to deploy. For example, as an organization, you might have some immediate pain points that could benefit from technology. Perhaps your sales team doesn't have the right tools to manage their sales processes, or perhaps your finance group doesn't have the right tools to consolidate financial results. 
So one decision would be, do we go ahead and solve those immediate problems now and find technology and process improvements that will enable those improvements? Or do we back up and look at the entire technological landscape? That's a pretty big decision that needs to be made and you need to make sure you're aligned as an organization and as a team before you get too far into your transformation. Another key decision that needs to be made is what is the magnitude of change that we are willing to take as an organization? A lot of organizations think that we're just gonna deploy technology and that's gonna drive a lot of our changes. But the reality is, is there's a lot of different changes and different magnitudes of change that can affect an organization. You might be risk adverse and decide that you just wanna do more incremental changes. You don't have the appetite or the tolerance for risk that will allow you to take bigger risk, and that's okay. As long as you're aligned on the fact that we are making more incremental changes, that's okay. Other organizations might be more aggressive. They might be saying, hey, we wanna take a swing for the fences or a quantum leap in improvement to our business. So we're willing to take on a bigger magnitude of change. Now, in addition to making this decision, you also need to understand what the consequences and the pros and cons and trade-offs are of each of these decisions. So in the case of the big magnitude change, that just means that you're gonna require probably more time, more money, more focus on change management, and more risk and potential disruption to your business along the way. The incremental approach might have the downside of not being up to date on technology and perhaps not taking full advantage of some of the quantum leap improvements that could be available to you. So these are major decisions that need to be made. And again, you wanna make this decision before you jump in and start evaluating and deploying different types of technology. Another common decision that digital transformation teams need to make is the level of standardization that they want to enable as part of their digital transformation. So in other words, a lot of organizations we work with are going through merger and acquisition activities and or aggressive organic growth. And as a result of that, they've grown up with disparate systems, disparate processes, disparate data points, and just different ways of operating throughout the organization. And one of the benefits they want to see as a result of their digital transformation is a standardization of those processes. Now, the reason this is such a complex and difficult decision is because it's not just one decision you're making. You're not just making a yes, no decision of do we standardize or not. We're making a decision of where do we standardize and where don't we standardize. It's extremely rare that we see an organization that effectively standardizes their entire operations. Typically, it's a hybrid. Typically, there's certain functions within your business that you are going to standardize or consolidate. And there's going to be other parts of your business where you decentralize or have more flexible processes that are perhaps closer to the customer or perhaps more localized to the individual market. And so it's really important that you have a clear vision going into the transformation of where you're going to standardize and where you're not. And the better handle you have on this and the more alignment you have on this big decision, it's going to save you a lot of time and money when it comes time to select and deploy technology. Another factor to consider, which maybe isn't so much a decision as it is just an understanding of what's going to happen to your organization, is the degree of organizational impact that the transformation will have on you. So this is where we look at the technology and process improvements that we're envisioning, and we articulate and analyze how big of an impact this is gonna be and where the specific impacts are gonna to be to the organization. And the reason this is so important to understand going into your digital transformation is because organizational change and the human factor of change is oftentimes the thing that delays digital transformations. It's usually not the technology, it's usually the people or the process side of the equation. 
So the better handle we can have on what the change impacts are, the better handle we can have on what the real implementation plan and the real budget and resource commitments and the real risks are going to be. Now, the final big decision that most organizations overlook is a decision around what is the business value and the ROI that we expect to get out of this digital transformation. And there's two sides of this equation. There's the cost side of the equation and there's the business value side of the equation. On the cost side, we need to start with realistic expectations of really understanding what the real total cost of ownership is for this digital transformation. And on the business value side, which most organizations completely neglect, we need to understand and quantify where we expect to get the business benefits, not only to justify the project and to build a business case to get approval for the project, but more importantly, to track business benefits and to hold people accountable for actually achieving those business benefits. And this whole process of benefits realization and value creation is extremely important, but so many organizations overlook it. It's something that really hasn't changed in the 25 years I've been in consulting, and I quite frankly don't understand why, because companies will spend months and years and millions of dollars on these transformations, but they don't hold themselves accountable to ensure that they get the business value to justify those investments. So be sure you have a clear analysis of what the business value is, what the business case is, and most importantly, how you're gonna track those benefits and who you're gonna hold accountable for those business benefits. So I hope this has given you some things to think about in terms of decisions that you need to make, not only to speed up the process later, but also to ensure that you have alignment going into the process. And the more aligned you are on these and other key decisions, the faster your implementation is gonna go, the less cost it's gonna take, and the more value it's gonna create. And perhaps just as importantly, it ensures that you're mitigating the risk of operational disruption throughout the transformation. So that's a clip from my YouTube channel where I talk about some of the key questions that you should ask and that you need to ask and have clear alignment on before you move too far into your digital strategy and certainly before you get into the execution and the implementation of specific technologies. So what I want to do next, speaking of shifting from strategy to execution, is I want to shift gears and play an interview next after a break. We're going to have Dr. Scott Janke on the show. Scott is a Director of Strategy and Transformation at Third Stage Consulting. And he's going to talk about the difference between strategy and theory and strategy and reality and execution. So sort of what's that disconnect between what sounds good in theory versus what actually reality is. And then later in the show, stick around because we're also going to get into some technology trends to be aware of for 2024. And that's going to be important to defining your digital strategy. And we're also going to have a panel interview, panel discussion around digital strategy and planning in particular. And then last but not least, we're also going to get into some change strategies, five change strategies that you need to be aware of and be mindful of as you define your digital strategy and your overall roadmap for 2024 and beyond. So stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. I'm gonna leave it all out now. 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. My name is Eric Kimberly, and you can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter to find new episodes, or you can go to audio podcast platforms as well. But transformationgroundcontrol.com features and aggregates all of those different sources for the podcast. So be sure to check out and bookmark transformationgroundcontrol.com and subscribe. Leave us a comment too, if you don't mind while you're, while you're at it. That always helps us. Uh, understand the audience and what, what you like and you don't like about the show. And speaking of what I like about the show, I love having guests on the show. And uh, this is the first guest that we're going to have today. We're going to play you a clip of an interview I did not too long ago with Scott Janke, who is a PhD. Uh, he's an adjunct professor, but he's also someone that uh, has been on the third stage consulting team for quite some time now, has a lot of consulting experience, a lot of broad and diverse background in understanding and executing on digital strategy. And so I had Scott on the show not too long ago to talk about what the difference between digital strategy and theory is versus digital strategy and reality. So it's sort of our, our way of unpacking and peeling back or pulling back the curtain on what sounds good in theory and what the software vendors and technology industry might be selling you versus what the reality of boots on the ground when it comes to execution and actually realizing that strategy. So we wanna just talk through the realities uh, the differences between strategy and execution. So with that, let's roll the clip here with Dr. Scott Janke from the third stage consulting team talking about strategy, digital strategy theory versus reality. I actually started my career in consulting. Um, I was one of those uh, big four recruits. Uh, so spent some time with uh, KPMG consulting and Deloitte for a, a while, uh, and then kind of spent my uh, probably the next 10, 15 years working in, in business and operational and leadership roles, VP of operations, COO, uh, those kind of roles. Uh, and somewhere in there, I decided that uh, an MBA wasn't enough for me. So I uh, solicited and, and was able to earn uh, my uh, doctorate in IT management uh, while I was still working full time in operations. Uh, and kind of took that role for a little bit longer, but uh, eventually uh, moved over to academia full time. I was an adjunct faculty member for a while uh, at a couple of different schools and then uh, became a full time faculty, ran a, a master's program and really uh, focused on the connection that we're talking about today. What is reality versus textbook? Um, and uh, I spoke, uh, I taught both undergraduate and master's students. So I, I got a good swath of, of experience in those classes. And then eventually joined uh, Third Stage Consulting as a senior manager, and now I'm uh, one of the directors for the firm. Yep, great. And I, I've neglected to mention that important fact that your your role here at Third Stage <laughs> is, is an elevated one, and you're, you're at a senior position here at Third Stage. So um, thank you for being here today. Yeah. Um, I guess just to start, um, and this is a, it's one question, but I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's really interesting. Um, but because not many people have walked in both sides of the, the um, uh, in, of your shoes in terms of being in consulting and ac ac academia. And uh, maybe you can help me today because I cannot talk to save my life. So maybe, I don't know if uh, your, your academic background can help with that or not. <laughs> no worries. But I, I seem to be having a lot of trouble with my words today. But uh, what are some of the lessons you have from academia versus consulting um, on, the, on the front lines of, of digital transformations? Like some, what are some of the biggest lessons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny that the, the first thing that popped in my head for those who uh, uh, remember a comedian called Rodney uh, Dangerfield, uh, he actually uh, had a movie called Back to School. He actually joined his son going to college uh, and he had a, a number of hilarious scenes in a classroom where the professor was talking about 
how it is factually how to do business and run a business. And uh, Rodney Dangerfield was just like, that is not how you do it. You have to do this, this, this. You have to be friendly with the mayor's wife and those kind of things. So uh, <laughs> it's a great movie, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I think that's so, again, the, the, the fact that I, I taught both undergraduate and graduate students, uh, we had young folks leaving uh, just out of high school and they had no concept or, or at the time had no concept of what reality is. So it's great to have that foundational perspective. I taught both uh, operations management and project management and kind of soaking in that information in their brain was very relevant to them, right? They, they've heard and seen the lingo and terminology of how, how a project, what a project is, how it's run, the, the real world of supply chain management and manufacturing and, and inventory management, those kind of things. Uh, but then you've transitioned over to the master's program. Uh, many of them had great experience, but they also never had that textbook education in the area of operations and, and project management. Uh, and it's great to see their eyes light up of what is what is practical methodology and how you go about running a business or running a project and what reality is. And I think without having the textbook knowledge of, of proper in project management, let's say, what is the differences and what are the components of waterfall versus agile, you won't know once you get into project, what is correct way to run a project, what is it? Mm -hmm. um, we deal with a lot of uh, uh, companies that uh, have system integrators that go to a hybrid approach. Uh, and that's that's fair game to kind of mix and match wherever you go. Right. But without understanding the, the academic side, the textbook uh, way of how to run a project, you won't know really when you're getting far off the railroad tracks or when you're just kind of taking a little hop over. Mm -hmm. uh, and as uh, a director at third stage consulting many of our projects uh, we get called in to do an assessment halfway through an engagement and we see that we see that there's not a uh, a clear understanding of how they're running a project um, and it trips them up and we typically call um, call them on the mat so to speak and uh, things get brighted but i think not understanding the proper functional way to run a project or run a business once you get into real world, there's all kinds of messiness. Mm. Uh, I know we're probably going to talk about that uh, some more today, but it's the reality of the real world that gets messy. So right. again, without understanding the baseline uh, technical methodology of how to have a proper supply chain management uh, program or systems in place, you won't know whether you're doing it right or wrong. Right. Uh, and usually you're like, well, I'm not making as much money as my competitor, but you don't know how to peel back the layers and figure that out. So I think having both is a nice balance of, of being able to answer questions, give directions, manage a team, because you understand when you're kind of being that renegade and when you're kind of following the, the tried and true principles of, of many of these areas these organizations call us up for. Right. Yeah, I have a uh, sort of a follow up question that's slightly off track, but it it's relevant because I get the question a lot. And, and that is based on everything you just said, if, if I'm a... Um, yeah, say I'm earlier in my career and I'm thinking about getting into digital transformation, either consulting or I want to be a CIO someday or I want to lead a project or, or whatever. I, I want to be involved in digital transformations. Do you recommend um, sort of higher education? I mean, how much does higher education help with that baseline foundation that you're talking about? Well, I'm, obviously, I, I, I enjoy and, and support education. Um, uh, I have certificates as well, uh, but you don't have to necessarily go to a formal uh, uh, educational uh, institution 
Um, it's more about learning and and capturing that information. See, there's all kinds of, of great programs you can you can have online. Uh, but quite honestly, I, I've seen more trends for organizations bringing in uh, folks like us uh, to kind of educate their team on the proper way of doing whatever they've called us in to do. Uh, and that to me is education. Uh, so I think there are very, very smart people out there who don't even have an undergraduate who can run circles around their competitors. Uh, but those are rare and, and far between. So I, I would encourage everyone who doesn't have formal education or certificates or understanding around what their job descriptions really are covering uh, to seek out that kind of education. You can do it on your own. You can do it formal. Uh, but now with all the online uh, capabilities of educational uh, uh, groups, it should not be a problem. And, and I highly encourage you to make the effort uh, to do that on the weekends on the on the at late at night, I did that during my doctorate. So, um, and it's obviously been worthwhile for me to do that, um, in the past. Right. Yeah. I remember when I was getting my master's degree and, and undergraduate too, but I remember really appreciating the professors that had obviously an academic background, but to me, more importantly, the, the real world experience that they could sort of fuse together. So I, I think that's, uh, you're, you're one of those professors I would have enjoyed having back uh, back in the day when I was in school for certain. I, I will add one more thing to that. Um, there, It's amazing how many clients that I've worked with where the tenure of the folks that we engage with is quite high. You know, the 20 to 30 year uh, tenure at these companies. I think that's rare. Uh, and yeah. one thing that education does give to you is the ability to adapt possibly more easily to go to a different industry, to go to a different company, to go into different uh, verticals, right? So I think having the knowledge of, of the foundation of education around supply chain management, operations, inventory management, just running a business allows you to move from uh, tire wholesaling to technical uh, uh, equipment distribution, right? So that, that capability, I think, enables you to, to do such a thing. Um, whereas if you just have long tenure within a single company, it might be more challenging if that's the only experience and lack of formal education or, or certificates that are going to possibly give you a little bit of a roadblock if you wanted to change. Right, right. We're here playing you a clip of an interview I recently did with Dr. Scott Janke from the Third Stage Consulting Team, where we talk about digital strategy in theory versus digital strategy in reality. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. 
My name is Eric Kimberling, your host for today, also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. You can find this weekly podcast every Wednesday with new episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also check LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for new streams of the podcast, as well as checking audio podcast platforms as well. But the aggregate place to go is transformationgroundcontrol.com to listen and watch on whatever platform you prefer. So be sure to check us out, new episodes there. So we're here in the midst of a conversation, playing you a clip from a conversation I had with Dr. Scott Jenke not too long ago, where we talk about the difference between digital strategy and reality and versus digital strategy and theory and what the disconnects are. So let's jump back into the conversation. As you've sort of looked at your experience in academia and uh, on the consulting side, uh, sort of the frontline consulting side of things, what are some of the disconnects that you've seen in terms of just, you know, what, what looks good on textbook that doesn't necessarily translate into reality or vice versa? What are some of those things that, that come to mind? Yeah, I think, you know, we say we do quite a few uh, uh, system selections, enterprise system selections, and uh, uh, we we stress, obviously, the functionality in those systems and the the alignment with the requirements the company needs to have for the next 20 years. Uh, but believe it or not, the, the technology, as we, we generally say, kind of in hallway conversations, will take care of itself. You can implement technology. You can go live with new uh, point solutions, fringe applications, or whatever you want to describe that. It's really the, the messiness comes in the actual organization itself. Mm. So the, the human side of business, uh, people's attitudes, there are folks that are new in their career. There are folks that are retiring, right? So how they're actually going to enable this wonderful goal of digital transformation tends to get off the rails. I'll use that uh, term quite often, I think, today, uh, because they haven't, the organization itself hasn't really understood the impact, the ecosystem around the technology is actually how much of an impact that has on on the, the fruitfulness of of these systems. Um, it's not it's not uncommon to see a very large organization spend, you know, 250, 300 million dollars on a five year program to revamp their systems. That's great. But if you have the same workforce that you had five years ago and you kind of treat that as well, they'll just use the new systems when we go live is such short sightedness in this process. And quite honestly, um, uh, my dissertation is in the acceptance of technology in the workplace. So uh, the, the go live literally is just maybe 25% of the road map of, of an in enterprise uh, or digital transformation. So making sure that you have encouragement, training, support, because uh, a lot of times that uh, gets messy as well as the uh, organizations use these massive enterprise implementations to change processes and job roles as well. And so the workforce isn't just learning a new system. Their whole world potentially is getting thrown up in the air and kind of landing on, on, a, on a new direction. So making sure that you keep that at the forefront at the beginning of the, of the project and all the way through the next upgrade or the next replacement. Um, you go through a digital transformation. It's not a single point in time. Um, right. So yeah. more of an ongoing journey. Absolutely. And, and if you want to optimize business benefits, it's certainly something you need to spend the time even after go live to absolutely really fine tune that it. And it reminds me of another thing you already mentioned uh, earlier in this discussion, which is the agile versus waterfall. Um, to me, that's another disconnect. I don't know if it's necessarily an academic versus consulting disconnect, but I think it's just a disconnect in sort of, we'll call it a disconnect between human intuition versus reality, which is human intuition would suggest that agile is a great thing because you move fast, it's nimble, 
you're going to get value faster, but everything you're just, you're just describing um, suggests that, you know, there's a, there's a balance that needs to happen between speed and, and getting stuff done, but also recognizing that you have highly tenured people, your organization has been around for however long it's been around and changing that just takes time and you need to invest that time to, to move the needle versus just putting technology in as fast as you can. And I think that's a, that's another, in my opinion, disconnect. I don't know if in academia, if that's something that they teach is that agile approach or if that's sort of a, in vogue in the academic world as well. I, I think it's a, a, believe it or not, I think it's a generational thing. Mm. Uh, so all the, the undergraduates that were in my classes uh, love this concept of agile, right? They, they, that's the new thing. But quite honestly, when you, when you, people don't realize that, that there's a disconnect there, that um, agile is, was originally for creating kind of one-off apps and those kind of, let's say you want to do a, an enhancement to an iPhone app, right? You can do an agile project for do that. But going through a, replacing your finance and accounting applications, your inventory management, it can't be so so neutral in the sense of lack of documentation and lack of formal uh, stage gauge to the process. And so what we see in these imp uh, implementations when we called in to come in for assessment uh, is a lot of companies start, a lot of system integrators start with formal kind of waterfall approach. They have a, a, a business requirements, they have a technical design document, they have a project charter potentially, but then throughout this year long plus project, they tend to kind of naturally gravitate towards an agile like approach because it's easier from a documentation standpoint. Mm. But then as we get nearer to the truly a, a formal testing cycle and training, we start seeing those disconnects of what we talked about a year ago, 16 months ago, isn't really in reality what I'm seeing now, right? Uh, right. Because they just naturally go to an easier path, potentially, as you mentioned, to go faster, but a lot of times it's just easier. Uh, and staying rigid and having that PMO guidance is, is so important uh, because you don't want to spend 20, 30, 40 million dollars on the implementation and that training or testing. You realize you've gone off those tracks. Right, right. I, I don't know why I just thought of this, but 15 years ago, maybe I, I worked with a, a project manager who um, he was actually part of a, a, he was a contractor that worked for one of my clients. And uh, I remember him, he was an older gentleman, you know, later in his career, he'd been doing this forever, you know, doing this for a long time. And I remember him uh, saying, yeah, I, I remember talking to him about a project plan saying, you know, let's see the project plan for this particular client and what, what are the milestones? And he just, he just looked at me and said, Eric, all I need to manage this project. And he, and he pulls out like a little uh, notepad, like a little tiny notepad. And says, it's all right here. And I said, well, what's in there? And he said, and he, he opens it up and it's just sort of like to do's. It's like just stuff that you need to get done. And so I don't know why that, what you just said reminded me of that example of how, you know, sometimes you, you know, lack of discipline is what people want. And they, they take pride in the gunslinging approach and moving fast and getting stuff done, getting technology out there quickly but they don't look at the bigger picture of, well, are you really transforming the business? Are you really getting business value? Are you really standardizing your business or re-engineering your processes the way you want? And I think that piece of it is oftentimes what gets lost in the whole agile discussion as well. Yeah. And I think we, we, we talk about kind of the formal PMO process of how projects are selected in the first place, right? What's the business case? What's the business genesis of why you're even bringing this project to the, to the executive team for approval. You know, what's the benefit, what's the big wow, what's the, what's the change that's gonna uh, help implement? Uh, and companies, I think, once they get the project gets approved and the budget's been approved, they don't actually manage what the original business case was throughout the project to after go live. Mm. 
Because by the time they go live, and let's say you will need six months to a year of stabilization to see any potential value from that project, they're on to the next 30 projects. And so they, I think organizations that think that these projects are going to transform their business in reality are just a point of project management. And now they're on to the next thing. They don't actually cohesively look at the full picture, uh, including, again, the, the, the people and the processes associated with it. Um, a lot of companies today say I'm or a lot of uh, uh, a lot of our clients say um, we want we've gotten uh, our legacy systems are very uh, customized. They're very unique and they've been in our, our world for you know, 20, 30 years. And so we want to go to an enterprise solution and just just use out of the box functionality, which means we will use whatever processes they have built in the system. Uh, as our processes going forward. But again, the technology part of an organization is just a component. And there's right. a lot of other still manual disconnected processes. And if you're actually going to go through a transformation, it's that teaming up between IT and the business that needs to be, again, that consistent thread throughout this whole thing. Um, right. We've helped a, a client look at these value indicators throughout the implementation. So taking these long-term benefits of a project or transformation uh, effort uh, and breaking that down to, can I realize value even during the project? Mm -hmm. So instead of waiting until you go live for formal training and change management activities and process updates, you can start communicating and, and educating your teams throughout this implementation. So by the time they get to go live, they've been well-versed of how to use a system, how the process is going to change and why you're doing this project in the first place. Right. It, it amazes me how many uh, individuals we work with on projects that those like, well, I know our legacy is old, so we're just replacing it. That's missing right. the point of why you go through something massive like this is you want to become better than you were. Uh, and yeah. they just haven't been coached on that. They haven't been communicated in that, in that light. Yeah, it's a great point. And it, it seems like uh, what you just said, uh, as far as wanting to go through a digital transformation because you want to replace legacy systems, that seems to be an increasingly common reason or an increasing increasingly number one reason why organizations go through these projects and it, it certainly is a good reason of course but to your point it's not the end-all be-all i mean if you're just doing a digital transformation because you have to or because your old systems are outdated and that's sort of your your vision statement that's you're just gonna, it's just not going to go well you're going to spend a lot of time and money on an implementation that ends up paving the cow paths and, and putting in a, a system to automate pretty much what you're already doing so you really want to get get business value and get an ROI out of that investment, I, I agree with you. I think you you need to have a bigger, clear vision of where it is you're headed with with yep. the project. Yep, absolutely. Here's an interesting uh, audience uh, comment here that I want to maybe turn it into a question. This is from Melissa, who by the way already has a, another question that's a really good one that I'm going to get to in a moment. So Melissa's already on a roll here with some of her questions, but. Melissa on LinkedIn says the people involved in in the digital transformation don't always have the level of expertise or sometimes attitude. Um, they need to have. Um, it sort of raises a question in my mind, which first of all, I agree with you, Melissa. I, I agree that um, you know people involved in transformation don't always have the right expertise or the attitudes. But I guess that begs a question of what are some of those intangible attitudes or maybe just broadening a little bit intangible skills that a digital transformation team needs to have that isn't necessarily something you learn in textbooks or that you learn in the world of academia or even a, a certification program or whatever. What are, what are some of those soft skills? You know, I, I was, I don't know where I heard this before, but I, I think um, both being inquisitive, uh, which is something that I've had and why I, I 
sought out a, a doctorate, you know, halfway, more than halfway through my career, uh, but also this kind of servant mentality. Mm. Um, we find project teams that maybe a couple of consulting uh, uh, FTEs, uh, full-time equivalent kind of people, uh, and let's say six company employees as part of a, a certain work stream. They, they typically have this attitude, and I don't necessarily know why. Maybe it's just a, a leadership perspective for, for, that they've had for a couple of decades. But they want to stay in their lane. Hmm. They, they, I, am, I am accounting, and this is, I'm only going to think about accounting. I'm, I'm supply chain. This is the only thing I want to know. And not having that servant slash inquisitive kind of perspective. And again, formal education isn't a determination of whether you're smart or not. So I'm assuming most folks that have been hired by our clients are smart people. Right. But they just seem to have either a, a direction by their supervisor or it's just their nature by itself is that they never really figure out where things fit together. Hmm. And, and why a different group is doing something in this area and not even asking that question even prior to the project is, is troublesome because you know that's going to be a challenge of you and the organization throughout the implementation or other activities that, that the organization is doing to, to make people care that there's a full stream here. Um, I, I tell this to, to new clients. One of the things that we do typically in the first couple of weeks of a project um, and this is this is even outside of third stage, all my consulting uh, engagements in the past. After a kickoff, we do kind of a workshop and we bring people from different disciplines within the in the in the organization together. And it never, never fails to surprise me when people talk about these end to end processes of I have a purchasing need. How does it come into a warehouse? How does it get assigned to a, a job and how does it get leave the warehouse or go to the client? People learn things that have been working there for decades. Mm. They, they realize that some work they're doing that they think somebody downstream is using isn't being used or some process has already been fixed and they thought it was broken still today. So it's, it's, it's disappointing, but it's encouraging at the same time that even on these projects, people are learning how the, the picture works together. And I think right. that's one thing that, that can be instilled in an organization way before any kind of massive project gets started is to have some of those thought processes. We routinely ask for a, a litany of, of documents, process flows, work, job descriptions, all these things. It is amazing to me how many large companies don't have anything documented about how the picture looks. Right. Because people just get hired, they work in their group and that's how it is. And, and it's, it's really interesting that it, it takes a, a big project for them to start thinking and building out a process uh, by department, by end to end, when people start kind of realizing why the project is starting in the first place, because they have lots of disconnects uh, or why this is going to make you more competitive advantage in your marketplace versus just being as is. So just that right. inquisitive kind of servant mentality of, of roll up your sleeves and get, get your hands dirty, I think is a, a great sign of, of the culture of an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And overcoming that tribal knowledge and, and, um, collectively or consolidating that tribal knowledge, documenting it, making it more of a, um, a formalized process. I think that's something that you can, you touched on too, which, uh, is one of the benefits of going through a digital transformation. Even if you, you rely on tribal knowledge now, um, or especially if you rely on tribal knowledge now, it's even more important to document your processes and define yep. what that future state yep. is very clearly for, for certain, which again, runs a little bit counter to agile approaches. Agile yep. would suggest, well, let's not worry about 
documenting future state. Let's just build something, get it out there, test it, let people respond to it. Then we'll tweak it however we need to. And that's, you know, so those are two different approaches that, that are in conflict oftentimes. We're here playing you a clip of an interview I recently did with Dr. Scott Janke from the third stage consulting team, where we talk about digital strategy and theory versus digital strategy and reality. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management, uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think, and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host for today, also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. You can find this weekly podcast every Wednesday with new episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also check LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for new streams of the podcast, as well as checking audio podcast platforms as well. But the aggregate place to go is transformationgroundcontrol.com to listen and watch on whatever platform you prefer. So be sure to check us out, new episodes there. So we're here in the midst of a conversation, playing you a clip from a conversation I had with Dr. Scott Jenke not too long ago, where we talk about the difference between digital strategy and reality and versus digital strategy and theory and what the disconnects are. So let's jump back into the conversation. Uh, a full um, uh, agile project to implement an enterprise solution will not and will never work. Hmm. Um, there is just it's too big, too expensive, lots of moving parts uh, for it to clearly have these approvals throughout the process, these stage gates, as well as, to your point, the formal documentation. Uh, yeah. You forego that, and then five years later, you want to do an enhancement to it or, or bolt something onto it. And, and all you have to do is rely on how the system's operating today as your only source of how it was built. Um, you're going to be you're going to be kind of guessing of how to move forward. Right. So yeah. absolutely. Something else you mentioned too is you talked about. I'll paraphrase what you said, but you talked about the uh, specialization of consultants and and uh, disciplinary functions like. Uh, when you look at a digital transformation, there's all these different areas of specialization that you need to bring to the table. You have, uh, you need uh, project managers, you need change managers, you need functional consultants, technical consultants, you need process type people, um, obviously developers and people that can do the, the hands-on configuration. All that stuff requires a bit of specialization, but to your point, it pulling together all those pieces into a cohesive strategy and, and looking at the entire big picture, that's to me, I agree with what you said there. I think that's one of the biggest 
things that are missing from digital transformations. And one of the biggest reasons why transformations fails because you don't have that big picture view of how it all ties together. And when we look at our um, digital strategy framework, the, the framework that we use in helping our clients define their digital strategies, it's, it's designed to pull together all of those pieces as well as our implementation methodology too. But I think the problem is, you know, organization doesn't have the skill set or the expertise to do a transformation on their own, which is very common and understandable. So they end up hiring consultants and system integrators to come in and do it for them. But no one oftentimes is looking at that big picture of how it all ties together. How is this aligned with our corporate strategy? Where there is a misalignment? What are we going to do about it? And just working through all those different pieces, it, it seems to be something that's commonly missing in, in these sorts of projects. Yeah, you, you hit upon something that I was going to mention if you didn't, uh, is, is, you know, organizations routinely revisit their mission statement, their strategy, their goal, core uh, beliefs uh, on a regular basis. Obviously, if you're a public company, uh, you're almost forced to do that on at least annually with an annual report. Uh, but I think they still look at improvements to their operations as just projects. Mm. Uh, and they don't sit there and align all the activities that are part of our framework around change management, process enhancements, um, uh, architectural landscape, uh, true formal PMO guidance, along with what the business leaders are doing from a strategy perspective and market penetration and all that kind of stuff. They, they kind of say, I want to go in this direction. Oh, I need this tool. So they go after the tool, but they don't kind of bring it back again of, are you achieving what you wanted to from a business perspective? Um, I think right. very few technology deployments are truly just an IT function, right? Everything that gets introduced to an organization is a business application. Um, right. And I think a lot of the, the newer, younger CIOs are really grabbing hold of that, uh, but it hasn't filtered down. Uh, right. And it becomes, well, finance is fighting with the IT group for something, right? Uh, with, and it's, if it's a small thing, I understand that. But if it's a kind of a function of this transformation and the strategy going forward, that needs to become much more of like, how can I help you? How can I help you? Versus, well, that's a different budget. Go get money somewhere else kind of thing. And they've lost the fact that you're not in sync as an organization from an IT perspective and a business operations perspective. Right. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. Um, just a couple other uh, comments and questions here from the audience. Um, Hanel on LinkedIn, who confirmed that he is indeed from Irvine, California, not Irvine in another uh, place, um, makes a comment here. Change management is a must and cross-functional experience for involvement, which is a, a great point. And, and I agree with that. Let's come back to that change management point here in a minute, because um, that's, that's really important. And it's hard to have any conversation about transformation, especially with me. Uh, without getting into the topic of change management. Uh, comment here from a wall on LinkedIn. Will this meeting be recorded? It's so insightful. Thank you for the kind words. And yes, it will be recorded. It is being recorded. And uh, you can find it, whatever platform you're watching on, it's going to stay there even after the fact. So you can go back to wherever you're watching on LinkedIn. In this case, you can watch it there or go to my YouTube channel and you can uh, find it under, under the live tab there. It's a live discussion. So you can go to the live videos and you'll find it there. Um, Question, though, from Sam Graham on LinkedIn. This is a really interesting question. I'd be curious to get your knee-jerk reaction to this, Scott. And that is, is it occasionally helpful to have unrealistic academics pushing the envelope? And first of all, I guess it's, it's uh, let's assume that academics are unrealistic. Uh, I didn't want to say it out loud, but since you did, uh, you know, let's suggest that academics are, are unreal, unrealistic, especially the ones that don't have the hands-on experience like you do, Scott. But do you think it's helpful to take some of the 
some of these concepts that sound good in theory, but don't always translate into reality. Is it, is it good to have a certain level of that to sort of push the boundaries and maybe, you know, sort of lead the charge into pushing us into something that might become realistic over time? Well, if, if anyone has uh, taken uh, organizational behavior as a course uh, anytime in the last 15 years, you understand that or you should know that a small amount of chaos is good for, mm. for team transformation. So uh, if I'm if I'm interpreting that question correctly or statement, um, do you is it worthwhile to have kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a angst or a push in an organization just to see what the organization is able to to adapt and move forward towards. Um, you know, you may not want to do that wholesale on your operations, but maybe um, one of these uh, point solutions or, or focus areas of, of how do I create a dynamic growth in our customer count or something like that and kind of figuring out an understanding from a psychological perspective, how do I embrace more more uh, prospects into customers? I think it's it's worthwhile. I think there's so many companies that unless you're in a, a Silicon Valley type company, uh, it is kind of a tried and true process. And it's mm. not until uh, M&A activity takes place and it kind of makes you look at a new business you hired. I'm like, wow, that's pretty innovative what they're doing. Or you realize you're losing market share and market uh, uh, representation because your your competitors are doing something new. Mm. Uh, so I think in a, in, a, in a knee jerk reaction, yes, I think it's it's helpful to kind of implement or bring introduce some concepts and ideas into the organization just to see if it kind of rattles the cages a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that we call out to um, our clients on, you know, the top 10, top 13 uh, reasons uh, uh, digital transformations fail uh, is, is trying too much too fast. Right. And and you don't want to have anything close to what I would call business disruption. So as long as you can kind of introduce some kind of nouveau kind of concept and see if the team can kind of push forward with that. Uh, obviously, things like, you know, Six Sigma and those kind of aspects of, of process improvement were kind of cutting edge at the time, right? right. Trying to measure at the, the minute level to see if there's some quality enhancements that can improvements that can be made. So I think I agree that there needs to be something, but it needs to be controlled. And it can't be such a one-off that it, it, it consumes organizations' resources just to have a, a fun little project going on. So yes, but it has to line up with the digital framework that, that we talk about uh, throughout this, this call is that it has to fit for a reason. Um, right. So I think yes, but carefully monitored, I think, uh, is probably the best way I can describe it. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And I think just to add to that, one of the challenges with our industry is that we're we're all about um, trends and buzzwords and and new ideas, which is great. You know, we we need to constantly innovate and look at, you know, what hasn't worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past, and how can we improve that going forward. But if you look at some of the trends in the marketplace, the problem is that we tend to, you know, this industry tends to double down on new ideas before it's tested or before people fully understand the fallout from it. And they're oftentimes investing their careers and their organizational success on this unproven idea. And I'll give you a couple of examples that I think might be controversial. One we've already talked about, which is agile, you know, agile became pretty quickly became a pretty hot thing. It became a, a, a sort of a, a reaction to some of the problems with digital transformations and ERP implementations, which is they take too long. They're bloated. They cost too much money. It takes too long to see the value. So agile came along as a way to, Hey, let's, let's fix that problem by doing things really fast and getting business value faster. But all it did is it just created a whole set of new problems and organizations don't 
still don't fully understand that until they double down and go all in on this concept of agile and then realize, oops, that's here are all these problems now that we didn't anticipate. Another one is a real, even simpler, more fundamental one is cloud. You know, look at cloud solutions and the way vendors have moved so quickly from on-prem to cloud. And I'm not here to suggest that cloud is any worse or better than, than on-prem. Um, but what I will say is organizations and specifically the vendors, the software vendor community went so hard and pushed so fast into cloud that organizations didn't realize that they were getting incomplete products and products that just weren't mature enough to handle their basic operations. And we still see that even now with a lot of cloud providers, especially the, the legacy. I'm talking more about the legacy vendors that had on-prem solutions that they're mm -hmm. moving to cloud. This comment does not necessarily apply to like the net suites or the sales forces or the work days of the world that started off in the cloud, right. always in the cloud. So, you know, you look, those are two things, agile and cloud, where people just don't fully recognize the risks and they think it's a, you know, it's a big trend, it's a big buzzword, it's a hot thing, and they just double down and go all in on these concepts without understanding those those uh, fallouts. You bring up a good point, and this kind of goes back to this global uh, concept of, of digital transformation, that it's not one and done, right? It's ongoing. Yeah. Strategy yeah. alignment with digital transformation is ongoing, period. Um, is the fact that, so many companies, when we go through these selections, still want on-prem to your point, um, but but their reasoning is is old because it's still that, well, I feel safer that our application is in the server room down the hallway. But again, very focused on an IT thing and, and right. potentially risk mitigation. But from an overall perspective, pick the right solution and the right hosting because it fits with your long-term digital transformation, not because it, it just feels safer, doesn't resonate with me. There has to be a fundamental reason of last time we went to cloud, we got burned. We're only doing on-prem. I get it now. Right. But right. It, it's still every decision in a, in a system selection. And one of the things that we talk about is uh, the, the, the transition of all these point solutions to a single ERP platform is now a ERP platform with some still some fringe applications, right? Organizations are learning that putting all your eggs in one basket isn't necessarily the best thing for them to reach their market and to grow. Uh, right. And so, but they have to have that concept so that you have uh, flexibility no matter which path that you have. Because uh, I do know that uh, organizations that kind of put, again, all their eggs in one basket, they're going down one path, um, have created inflexibility in being able to adopt to changes in the marketplace to their workforce and their competitive landscape. Uh, so having flexibility throughout this process and, and why you're making these decisions, not because we did it in the past, but why will it be better for us in the future? And it's amazing. Some of these small little things come up when we have problems in a, in a large project. It's just the little things of making that alignment work will solve a lot of these, these obstacles. Uh, and without getting them too far. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, as you talk about alignment and actually, I think there's a, there's a couple comments I saw in the, the, the feed here, the chat um, about alignment as well. But when you talk about alignment and then getting back to the question of can, can unrealistic academics push the boundaries of what digital transformation can or should be. Um, one thing that comes to mind, especially putting the two together, the, the question, that question along with what you said about alignment 
it reminds me of other academic concepts that can really benefit digital transformation. And one in particular that comes to mind as we talk about alignment is um, McKinsey's 7S model. Um, when you look at something like McKinsey's 7S model, if you if you don't know what it is, it's a, I have a whole video on it, actually on my YouTube channel. If you just search McKinsey, you'll find it uh, on there. But it's basically it's system, strategy, shared values. I can't remember all seven of them, but there's basically seven S's and you have to make sure they're all aligned. And if you're not aligned, it creates friction in the organization, it creates problems. And I think that's a good example of something that wasn't, that was a framework that was not designed or intended necessarily for digital transformation. But if you apply that sort of a model, which is very academic, you take that model and you apply it to a digital transformation, it can be very powerful. So it's not necessarily a, you know, unrealistic model that's pushing the boundaries of digital transformation intentionally, but it, it is an academic model that I think can, can absolutely benefit. Even, uh, uh, yeah, even, even some of these uh, old kind of comparison evaluation tools like, um, um, balance scorecard or SWOT yeah. analysis, believe it or not, it's still relevant. Yeah. Um, totally. And at least Order on the projects that I go through, I, I add those to our intro deck of mm. where do we think your company is, but more importantly, where, what are the SWATs? What are the, the areas of concern and opportunities in this project, right? Get them out in front. Um, and I almost always include the company's mission statement or core values in those kind of assessments as well, because this project must fit in that. Right. Um, and, and without having that connection along the way, when, and by the way, let's just be frank that, uh, uh, ERP implementations are notoriously difficult. Um, mm. and so when, when it becomes challenging halfway through and you've already spent millions of dollars, that's not the time to start realizing where this project fits in the big picture. That's right up front throughout the process. Uh, and I think a couple of comments in there of, you know, change management really is the key to a successful launch and use of tools. Uh, and getting that started way up front is is something that most companies just ignore and they wait until the very end. Right. Um, people will make it successful or people will make it a failure. Um, right. the technology you will usually work. Yeah. So it's easier to find a way to make the technology work than it is yep. to find a way yep. for the Agree. to work. Um, here's a, a comment and question that I'm going to integrate or fuse together with with uh, mine, or it's a comment that I'll, I'll turn into one of my questions, which is from uh, Ubaid on LinkedIn says, idea of transformation should be clear. Often corporate strategy doesn't truly translate down. And that leads me to a question that um, I wanted to ask you, Scott, which is how can organizations ensure that their digital strategies are aligned with their overarching business strategy? And because that's oftentimes a disconnect back to your point earlier about if your reason for implementing new technology is because you want to replace legacy systems, you're highly likely, if, if that's the extent of your vision or the extent of your justification, you're highly likely to experience disconnect between strategy and, and reality and digital strategy versus business strategy. So how do you, how do you find, or how do we third stage and some, with some of our clients, have we found ways to, to ensure that you've got that alignment between what your digital strategy is and what your overall corporate or business strategy is. Yeah, and I will agree that the C-suite will sit around and shake their head, you know, shake hands and, and everyone agrees on, on alignment, but it never trickles down. Uh, right. So it's great when we have the opportunity to talk to middle management. And one of the things we do in our, our projects uh, quite often is a, a survey, is a organizational readiness assessment. And it is surprising uh, the disconnect from senior leadership to middle management to the, the boots on the ground. Um, and that is something we, we usually do right up front. 
including a, an executive strategy workshop where we actually talk about their goals and objectives and what's stopping them from achieving that. Um, it's, it is something that is concerning. And when we give light to that, uh, that's when that, that those light bulbs to go off on the change management, right? What is the motivation for us to go down this path? So uh, we have a, a number of companies uh, right now that are simply replacing a legacy system because it's at end of life. Uh, mm -hmm. not long, no longer supported, highly customized. Now they're searching at it. When we have that executive workshop where we do those surveys, it's amazing that they're not leveraging the fact that they're going to go through an ERP implementation to get that alignment, to understand the business justification that you're able to get out of that implementation. They're simply looking at it to your point. We have an old system we have to replace. And I don't know if that's lack of education, lack of understanding of what's happening in the marketplace. Uh, but that is one of those areas where consultants can help in kind of exposing them to what competitors are doing. What's the industry standards going forward and what are the things you should get out of a big uh, implementation, especially around ERP and how that fits in potentially with your strategy. So I, even though I've been a consultant for most of my life, not all of it, um, uh, I will say that there are value adds that consultants bring to an organization especially around this this idea and why we start these projects up front with the surveys and the executive workshops is we want to understand truly is 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 one hand not knowing what the right hand is doing um, right. and that becomes pretty evident for somebody that isn't in, uh, new to the company that there's some challenges there before you get too further down uh, down the road yeah absolutely we're here playing you a clip of an interview i recently did with dr scott janke from the third stage consulting team where we talk about digital strategy in theory versus digital strategy in reality. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you wanna feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host for today, also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. You can find this weekly podcast every Wednesday with new episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also check LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for new streams of the podcast, as well as checking audio podcast platforms as well. But the aggregate place to go is transformationgroundcontrol.com to listen and watch on whatever platform you prefer. So be sure to check us out, new episodes there. So we're here in the midst of a conversation, playing you a clip from a conversation I had with Dr. Scott Jenke not too long ago where we talk about the difference between digital strategy and reality and versus digital strategy and theory and what the disconnects are. So let's jump back into the conversation. And as a follow-up comment here onto what you just said, Scott, and this is from Melissa on LinkedIn. Melissa says, the reality is also that the consulting firm can't change your business processes and your people. You can't rely on the consulting firm. Uh, 
you can't rely on the consulting firm and just the technology to make the digital transformation successful. The company must commit their people and time. And I think this is a great comment that sort of puts a bow on what you just said, which is, yes, you need, you know, you need that focus on business processes and changing people. And certainly consultants like third stage can help do that. But ultimately your organization and your leadership has to be on board and they have to be the, the faces of the change in your organization. People yeah. within your organization need to be those faces of change as well. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing there that uh, we we usually, or maybe it's just I, uh, usually push back on clients that want to have one representative from a, a functional area be part of a, a work stream as we go through requirements and implementation. Um, we usually almost expect and demand that there are multiple people that are part of the project uh, just for that knowledge sharing, which is key. But we also like to put people in, in a leadership role on our projects, meaning if, if I'm uh, being responsible for the inventory management track and looking at warehouse management and, and, and shipping solutions and the requirements around that, I'd rather have a, an employee be the, the point person of that work stream, even if I do all the work. I want them to own this for their department and not a consultant who comes in at the last minute, we try and do some knowledge transfer and then we're gone. Uh, so putting your employees and your staff in leadership roles on the projects help kind of gain that visibility that it's not an IT or a consulting project. It really is a business transformation, digital transformation effort. Right. Absolutely. Um, there's another question here that comes back to uh, something you said about uh, Lean Six Sigma. This is from William on YouTube. William says, how do you view Lean Six Sigma in today's environment? And you mentioned that earlier as a, as a um, sort of a framework that that you've seen applied and we, we see it a lot in the corporate world. We still see it a lot in the corporate world. How do you view that in today's environment? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of lump that into to other types of methodologies for improvement. Um, it will throw everything. I'll throw in waterfall and, and agile in there. I'll throw in uh, Six Sigma, lean, lean manufacturing, all those kind of concepts and, and, and methodologies is most of most companies aren't so large that they can really have formal areas of, of focus on some of those areas or methodologies. I'd rather say that it's important for everyone to understand what they entail and to implement portions of them where appropriate. So if, if the idea is that we want to become more efficient and more effective in our operations and our achievement towards revenue and market share, what are the various methodologies out there that we can improve our operations? So it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal program that you implement company-wide or in certain areas. You can, you can cherry pick some of the areas of these methodologies and employ them to see if they work. Um, again, I think it's one of those things where People like to hire people with certifications in these areas, but they don't really drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, of company-wide. So uh, Mr. Welsh, who was famous for Six Sigma at uh, GE, I mean, that was a company philosophy. Mm. Uh, it's so hard to take that and go to a private company that has $50 million in revenue and make them act like GE, Right. But right. you can have components of those get implemented on simply improving the pr productivity of your operations. There are things you can you can embed along the way. Um, very few companies these days are bloated with with workforce. So they're pretty lean on headcount um, and are getting leaner as everyone's mm -hmm. seen some of the layoffs. 
So it's not like you can take a program and implement it company-wide. Once you start with some of the components of, of improvement, process improvement, operation effic efficiencies and effectiveness, those kind of things, uh, and do almost like a, a trial and error to see whether that's something that actually gains traction. Because almost all right. those philosophies still rely on people to do it effectively. And right. if you're forcing somebody to go to a offsite uh, workshop to become certified and come back and deploy it to your company, unless your managers care about that, it won't happen. Right. So right. It has to be a philosophy within a department or more likely a, a company to, to really grab hold. Right. Right. Now I just realized I have completely lost track of time here. Um, how, do you have a few more minutes? I didn't ask you at the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. What your timeline. Okay. Yeah. I've just got a few more questions. I want to make sure we get sure. to as we, uh, wind down the conversation here, but, um, these are really important ones too. So, um, and thank you for all the great questions on, on the stream too. Those, those have been awesome discussion points. Um, but one question I want to ask is what do you think if we sort of back up and, and try to tie this all together, everything we've been talking about so far, what do you think some of the biggest and most important components of a digital strategy are? So in other words, when we think about our digital strategy, what are the most important pieces that we should really focus on and make sure is part of that digital strategy? Um, I think we talked about it a, a couple of times in here, but, but why, right? Why are you even bringing this up or having a concept or why are you initiating something and making sure that you understand the implications of going down a, a path or not? So, so that whole alignment, I, I think we're, we're stressing that pretty hard and, and it's because it's so important is that mm -hmm. the, the tactical stuff we can get done, but unless there's a, a purpose and a reason why, when when it hits the fan, so to speak, um, you're going to give up. The organization will stop. They'll they'll do the the short end around to make it finish, make the project or the the effort finish earlier than maybe planned, just to be done with it. Um, this is not an easy or inexpensive effort. So the alignment of why you're doing anything around technology or digital strategy is is the fundamental basis that will carry you forward. Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be just at the leadership. It has to be throughout the organization. So I'm, I'm surprised we have some large clients. I'm very surprised they don't have both a passive and, and, um, active communication effort around some of these things. So going to a portal homepage, when you turn on your laptop at work, talking about some of the key initiatives in the organization and, and maybe even financial results for the last quarter and making it relevant to everyone, uh, is amazing but most companies don't think about that they only communicate when something has to happen rather than an ongoing engagement uh, so i think the strategy part uh, is so important and the the other thing is I feel like a, a squeaky wheel is is the organizational uh, effort around change management and focus on people mm -hmm. it is it is we usually start uh, even during a, a, our sales cycle uh, and somebody's going to go want to go through a, a selection and implementation data Start working on your data, start working on your people. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to backfill people. You need to educate people while this project is happening. You need to support them from day one because uh, they're going to be your champions and change agents when you get done. Um, so data right. and people, I think, are, are, are core outside of just the alignment on strategy of why you're doing something. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. And, and one of the challenges in our industry is that... Um, the echo chamber of our industry. When you look at software vendors, system integrators, most consultants that are affiliated with software vendors trying to push certain software products, 
they they don't use these exact words, but they suggest that maybe you should think less and just do now. So don't ask why, just do it. It's sort of the the refrain that you'll get, not directly, but that's the 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 mentality that you get oftentimes from the the technology and the digital transformation community. And the reason is because they want to sell software. They want you to move faster. They they want you to stop thinking, stop asking why, stop worrying about alignment, stop worrying about you people. It's all about the technology. Let's get technology going right now. Let's do this agile approach so you can deploy the technology quickly. And it's it's all designed to sell software, but it's pushing you in a direction that totally circumvents everything you just said. And I think that's the problem. One of the biggest fundamental root cause problems in our industry is it's it's designed. There's flaws in the design of our industry that are not conducive to strategic success in the way we're talking about here today. Yep. Um, but if you know this stuff that we're talking about and you take your your advice to heart um, and you, you can use that to counter some of that messaging and take control and ownership of your project and run it the way you want to, which in my opinion is the right way is to ask, you know, make sure you define the why, make sure you focus on change management, have a solid plan up front, all that stuff that, that is really important. I'll bring one more thing up and I know you may have a, another question, but uh, uh, let's not disregard, uh, let's not disregard the people that the system implementer brings to the table as well. Mm -hmm. um, typically what we see is you get the outstanding folks during the sales cycle, you get the outstanding folks at the beginning of the project, and then they start resource changing. Right. And when we come in middle of a project and uh, ask for or we're being uh, engaged to do an assessment on the project. Some of the things that frequently come up is that there's not good knowledge transfer within the organization. They give us the C players. They have a lot of coaching. And all of a sudden now we know more of the product than the consultants that we're paying for. So staying on top of that is also very important. They don't necessarily need to know why you're going through this transformation, uh, but don't ignore the fact that the system integrator and the consultants are also a big uh, uh, factor in a successful implementation too. Right. And I want to call out one, one more comment from the audience too. Um, it's actually a comment that's going to just blow up this entire conversation <laughs> and make me question this entire thread, but, but this is actually a really good point. Uh, well-known comment from, uh, arena on, uh, LinkedIn says culture eats strategy for breakfast. So maybe strategy is irrelevant. I don't know. But uh, the culture, you know, you, and you talked just a moment ago about people and, and we've talked a lot about people and change management in this conversation. How do you see culture fitting into strategy? And, you know, is, is that something we should be thinking about? Well, I, 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 what I'll say on that is, is I would say strategy reflects the culture of the organization. Hmm. So um, when I was doing a, a project for, for Starbucks in Seattle, uh, there are a number of people on the client side uh, that had worked at, let's say, Amazon. And Amazon at that time was big, but it wasn't as huge as this. And the culture there was uh, very militant in top-down direction, heavy workloads, just do it. And their their ability to have projects and improve their operations to you know pennies on the dollar around the thing, around the the strategy of their uh, their own transformation. Um, was a, a representative of the culture in the organization. Mm. And so you can't have a kumbaya, wonderful, cohesive strategy if the culture is disastrous and painful and hurtful, right? right. And so I think the strategy reflects the culture of the organization, not that necessarily culture will absorb and, and dispute or diminish the strategy. I think they're, they should be and will are usually are aligned with each other. Right. So 
if, if, if there's a, a difficult organization from a culture standpoint, um, I'd be surprised that they have a long tenure moving forward of market uh, share, successful uh, customer um, attitudes and perception of their services, because it will permeate throughout the organization. Uh, yeah. We can go into another call around uh, uh, how we view cultures of the different airlines. Uh, but for those who fly very often, they're a little bit sim more similar now than they have been. But in the past, each one had their own unique culture that drove their strategy of pricing, market uh, share and those kind of things. So the difference yeah. between American and Southwest, for those that might be in the Dallas area, uh, pretty significant. Um, but now I would say Southwest isn't as different uh, because they've scaled to such a size. Now they're having to do very much the same kind of cost cutting focus mm -hmm. on on managing the, the bottom line than they, than they had in the past. Right. So, yep. I, I think your strategy can also one of your strategies might be to bend the culture too. You know, I, I agree, totally agree with you that your strategy reflects your culture, but it could be the inverse to some degree, especially now when organizations talk about becoming more innovative or more of a, a digital enterprise, um, that sort of thing. I think it, you can have, um, you can have a strategy that is intended to bend your culture, but you have to recognize that there's headwinds. Yep. That you're trying to change something that's very difficult to change and it's not going to happen as fast as implementing technology will happen. And if you know, so and, that's, and that's a good point is that if you're thinking that technology is going to drive that org structure change and, and culture and change management, that's that's a difficult sale to me um, because it needs to probably start the other way around. If you have an innovative company or you want to become that, you can start way before any technology is introduced. Uh, and then when you layer on something that really is maybe uh, uh, fringe. Uh, functionality uh, or in a certain area that hasn't been touched before, but you've already have that, that crowd that is that servant kind of inquisitive mindset. Mm. It is more likely to be successful than if you're thinking that technology alone will change people's attitudes and culture of the company. It's, it's kind of, you can start one right now and, right. and, and change how you think and work with your, your, your folks. Right. Right. And we have a, um, just for um, those watching that might be interested um, especially if you're interested in theoretical concepts, we have a one page summary of our digital strategy framework and things that we look at and that we unpack and help clients define as part of their digital strategy exercise. Uh, I'd be happy to share that with you. If anyone uh, wants, you can, you can message me and uh, we'll share that with you. And if our marketing team listening happens to have a link to that, I don't know if we have it posted on our website or not, but if we do, um, you can also check the comments. Uh, they'll post it there if it exists. So don't don't take my word for it because it, it may not it may not be on the website. Um, so if it's not, uh, feel free to message me. But as a, as the, using that as sort of a lead into my last question for you, Scott, um, how can organizations get started on their digital strategy definition in defining a digital strategy that's unique to them? You know, kind of reflects their business strategy and their corporate strategy. Yeah, I, one of the things that uh, still surprises me sometimes is that a lot of organizations, especially at a certain size, uh, and they've grown by acquisitions or like they they don't really understand their their technology architecture landscape. Hmm. Um, they don't if things are working, maybe uh, but they don't really understand kind of everything from uh, ease of use to cost or uh, uh, retirement across the spectrum to then align with why do you, are you looking at this uh, to start off with? So one of the things that, that we have conversations around in workshops and through implementations of a, of a ERP solution or point solution 
is, is understanding what is your competitive advantage within each functional area and your, your perspective of the organization in the marketplace. The concept that you can use all of the out-of-the-box functionality and all of the out-of-the-box processes within the system is naive because if that's the case, then you're not adding any value to the marketplace. Every organization has a perspective or a competitive advantage or uniqueness to them and making sure that that shines throughout the whole process. So before you start a transformation project or, or initiative, before you go out and select the system, understanding your landscape in the first place, but understanding what's unique about you, hmm. what, what is driving you, and then focus on that instead of making sure that everything is like for like match on a new system. Use out of the box for back office processing. Don't even think about doing something unique. If that doesn't give you increased revenue or increased market share, table it, right? right? Only focus on what truly is competitive advantage to you. And a lot of our clients are private and they don't necessarily have gone through that effort before. Right. And so a lot of these private companies become public or get bought off by public companies. So having that perspective is core, I think, before you go down this path. Because I think once you go down this path, you need to keep going. Right. You can't just do it for a little bit, stop and say, we're done. Um, so understanding why you're in business and why you're successful and then look at your technology landscape and, and see how they sync up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said. And you don't want to, to your point, you don't want to ignore the current state. You know, you need to use the current state and where you are today as sort of your, your grounding for, for not only what your strengths and weaknesses are and where you want to be focused on improving operations because it helps increase revenue or market share. Um, but you know, you just, it, it helps you be, be deliberate uh, in that way by focusing on the current state. And it also allows you to understand what you're up against. You know, if you, you, if you understand your current landscape, you know, not just in terms of technology, but your processes, your organizational design, uh, the people, the culture, you have to understand the realities of where you are so that you can have a realistic plan and, and a realistic strategy to get where you're trying to go. And too often a vendor or, or system integrator will come in and say, here's our, here's our project plan. Here's our proposal. We can do this in six months, no problem, or whatever the duration is. It's going to cost you X amount of money, but it doesn't consider where you are today and how big of a jump you're making as an organization. For some organizations, it's a massive leap. They're risk adverse. Uh, they're highly tenured staff that just resist change more than others. That's a totally different time frame and strategy than an organization that's a tech company. It's a young startup and it's right. fast. It's not tenured. It's immature processes. Those are two, two totally different scenarios they're going to have two totally different project plans, but oftentimes, more often than not, software vendors and system integrators will give those two companies the same exact proposal yep. because they know they can implement technology in six months or whatever it is. But yep. this isn't about implementing technology. So, all right. Thank you, Scott. And thank you for the great conversation. And uh, that was a, a fun one and, and a good conversation we had back a few months ago on this podcast. And a good one to really help illustrate the difference between strategy in theory versus strategy in reality and really helps us take a more pragmatic view to digital strategy, or at least that's the intent of the conversation. So I hope you found that helpful in that regard. And we're going to shift gears a bit. And after the break, we're going to dive into what some of the tech trends are in the marketplace. Five big tech trends you should be aware of in 2024 and beyond, um, some predictions for 2024, and just things to be aware of in the technological landscape. We've talked a lot in this show about a lot of stuff other than technology, but we do want to be mindful of what the technological trends are and how that might be incorporated into our roadmap. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll roll you this clip of a YouTube video I recently posted about some of those tech trends to be aware of. 
But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more on Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. This is episode number 141. I'm your host for today and appreciate you being here. And we are going to jump into a conversation now talking about technological trends as we continue this, this whole thread and this whole theme of today's episode, which is all about digital strategy and the things you need to know to define your strategy and roadmap for your digital transformation or ERP implementation in 2024 and beyond. So with that in mind, we wanted to play you a clip of a recent video I posted on my YouTube channel that talks about what some of the tech trends are to be aware of and what some of my predictions are for 2024 and beyond. Just so you can have these in the back of your mind and be prepared as you define your digital strategy and roadmap. Now, keep in mind, when we talk about technological trends, we don't necessarily need to bite off more than we can chew. We don't necessarily need to boil the ocean. We don't necessarily need to go chase every potential sexy, cool new technology that's out there. But instead, we need to be aware of what's out there so that we can selectively choose the ones that best fit what it is that's going to work for our business and what is going to deliver the most business value for our organization. So do take it with a grain of salt, but these are the biggest tech trends that we see our clients being excited about, being interested in, and these are the technologies that we're talking about quite a bit with our clients as we head into 2024 and beyond. So with that in mind, let's roll the clip of me talking about some tech trends and predictions for 2024 and beyond. And when we're helping clients define their digital strategy and roadmaps, one of the biggest things we need to consider are some of the technology trends in the marketplace. What are the things that are happening? What's changing? And the world is changing very quickly, by the way. And what are the things we need to understand to define a digital strategy and roadmap that makes the most sense for our organizations? So what I want to do today is talk about what are the five biggest trends that I see and that our team sees for organizations that are going through digital transformations, not only in 2024, but in the years to come. Now, if you're looking for more information about technology trends and emerging technologies in the industry, I encourage you to read our 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. It's an annual report we publish each year that highlights some of the emerging technology trends and also provides independent reviews and rankings of different technologies that are meant to help you through your digital transformation journey. So you can read that by scanning the QR code in front of you, or you can go to the links below. In 2023, we really saw a breakthrough or a tipping point of ChatGPT, OpenAI, and other artificial intelligence solutions at the consumer level. And what that's done is it's really raised the bar and raised the expectations for what artificial intelligence and general analytics can do for enterprises as well. And so what we expect to see in 2024 
is that now that people understand at the consumer level how to use ChatGPT and how Dolly and other types of open AI solutions can help them in their personal lives, now you start to see people connect the dots with how enterprise solutions can also leverage AI, analytics, business intelligence, and other sorts of emerging technologies that have been around for a long time, but they've been misunderstood or underdeployed throughout organizations. So as we look to 2024 and beyond, this is where we really start to see, and we expect to see, some material advancements in the use of AI throughout enterprises. This goes both for how enterprises leverage technology themselves, but also for how ERP vendors and other enterprise technology providers incorporate AI into their solutions. Now that more of us understand what AI can do and they understand the open AI model and ChatGPT and other types of emerging tech, now we've really raised the expectations for what enterprise technology can do as well. So look to 2024 to be the year that artificial intelligence and analytics really reaches that tipping point of adoption at the enterprise level. Another trend that we expect to continue in 2024 is the acceleration of digital transformation failures. Despite the advancements in new technologies and exciting new technologies in the marketplace, digital transformations and the deployment of those technologies are struggling at an accelerated pace. There's a few reasons for this. It's not because the technology is lacking in most cases. The real reasons why digital transformation failures are increasing are threefold. One is the fact that many enterprise vendors are forcing their customers off of legacy on-premise systems to cloud solutions, especially in the ERP software space. So in other words, providers such as SAP and Oracle and Microsoft that had these big install bases of on-premise ERP systems are now forcing those customers to switch over to the cloud solutions. And what that's doing is it's creating artificial demand and an artificial spike in the number of implementations happening all at once. And for many organizations, they're not necessarily ready for a digital transformation, but yet they have to go through it because their vendor is essentially forcing them to. So what that's doing is it's creating more failures because a lot of these organizations aren't prepared for a digital transformation, and they're simply going through an upgrade because they're being told they have to. A second reason why digital transformations are failing is because some of these cloud solutions are not as mature as their legacy on-premise counterparts. While some of these cloud solutions provide new capabilities and things that just weren't possible with on-premise solutions, there's also just basic fundamental types of processes that were developed over decades of developing these legacy on-premise systems that are not yet transitioned over to the cloud. So until these software vendors, these legacy vendors, transition all of their functionality and capabilities over to the cloud, you're just gonna see bigger capability gaps between what they had yesterday versus what they're gonna to have tomorrow with their technologies. And then finally, another reason why digital transformations are increasing is because of some of the labor shortages that are being caused by this artificial spike in demand for digital transformations. In other words, there's a shortage of consultants that know certain types of technologies because there's so many transformations happening at once as organizations scramble and sort of rush to go through their transformations. It's a lot like 1999 going into Y2K all over again, if you're old enough to remember that, where you had a spike in demand and not enough consultants and not enough resources to support all the projects that are happening. So for this reason, we expect to see the per capita rate of digital transformation failure to continue increasing. And this is a trend that we saw start really in 2023, and we expect to see that to continue and accelerate in 2024 and beyond. Another trend we expect to see in 2024 and beyond 
is the deterioration of market share of ERP software vendors. And I don't think the ERP software category is going to go away anytime soon, but I do think the major ERP software providers are going to lose market share to other competitors. And there's other new categories of software that I think are going to eat into the traditional ERP software market. For example, you have providers out there that are providing software platforms. So in other words, they're not just providing one ERP system that can do everything or try to do everything, but instead they're providing more general platforms that provides a bit more flexibility. So you can develop your own products or use third-party providers that develop on a certain platform. Probably the best known example of this is Salesforce. Salesforce has a force platform that they built Salesforce on, but they've also opened it up to third-party developers and even their own customers to develop different types of products and different capabilities that the Salesforce CRM system can't do. And that really allows organizations to have flexibility to develop things that maybe haven't been developed in the past or to leverage third-party developers that have off-the-shelf solutions built on that same platform. So it gives organizations a lot more flexibility and a lot more options than a traditional ERP system. A second category of software that is chipping away at traditional ERP systems is the best-of-breed model. You're starting to see more organizations have less tolerance and less patience for big, massive ERP implementations, but instead what they're doing is focusing on individual pieces of their organization and certain functions that can provide more value quickly within their digital transformations. So for example, a lot of organizations might say, if our number one goal as a company is to increase our top line revenue, then perhaps we don't just replace all of our ERP systems, we instead focus on CRM or customer relationship management to really drive that top line revenue growth that we're looking for. And over time, perhaps we'll replace other systems as well. But by deploying a more targeted CRM solution in this example, they're able to get more immediate value at a lower cost and lower risk. So this best of breed technology category is another threat to the traditional ERP software market. And then finally, another trend that we see eating away and chipping away at the market share of the big ERP vendors is going to be software vendors that provide interoperable solutions. So products such as Palantir or Snowflake, those are systems that are meant to not necessarily replace an entire back-end ERP system, but instead it's meant to provide workflow automation and business intelligence and reporting capabilities on top of what systems are already in place within an organization. So these are just three examples of ways that the traditional ERP software market is going to continue to deteriorate and give up market share to other competitors in the marketplace. Another trend to be aware of is the whole software platform trend. And I talked about this in the previous point about a category of software that was chipping away at the ERP software market. But it's also worth noting that software platforms are a trend of the future. It's not just because it's chipping away at ERP software vendors, but because it's a trend in a direction that a lot of organizations are starting to go. In other words, they're not doubling down and putting all their eggs in one basket of one technology provider. Instead, what they're doing is investing in a software platform that allows them to grow and add new technical capabilities over time. And this can be a lower risk way of deploying technology without necessarily having to replace all of your systems at once. Another trend within this software platform category is the low-code, no-code movement. You're starting to see a lot of software vendors that are providing low-code, no-code options, which really essentially allow you to deploy new technologies and provide flexibility for those new technologies without necessarily needing to customize or have deep technical capabilities to support it or change the software. 
So low-code, no-code is a big movement that we're seeing in the market as well. And I sort of lump that into a software platform category, even though many would say that's its own separate category. But it's also something that's being deployed and integrated within other ERP and other types of enterprise technologies as well. So look for software platforms to gain more traction and more momentum in 2024 and beyond. The fifth and final trend that I have for 2024 is the phenomena of IT labor shortages. We're already starting to see it here in 2023 and I expect this to continue and accelerate into 2024, which is it's hard to find good IT talent. In fact, it's hard to find good talent anywhere not just in IT, but on other functions as well. And a lot of organizations might agree with that. But IT is such a specialized, high-skilled type of labor force. And when you combine that dynamic with the fact that there's so many digital transformations happening at once, which I covered earlier in the video, and technology is changing so quickly, and it's hard for the labor force to keep up with the technological changes, that creates a dynamic where there are skills shortages in the marketplace. So what this means is it's gonna be harder to find talent, not only to support your current technology landscape and environment, but certainly as you go through a digital transformation, it's going to make it that much more difficult to find the talent and the resources and the skills that you need to support the project going forward. So this IT skills and this IT labor shortage is one of the biggest trends we expect to see to continue and to accelerate in 2024 and beyond. So those are a handful of the tech trends that you should be aware of in 2024 and beyond as you define your digital strategy and roadmap for the next year and years. However, doesn't mean that every one of those trends is going to be relevant to you or important to you, but it is something to be aware of as either part of your short-term and or your longer-term digital strategy and digital transformation roadmap. So with that all being said, I'd be curious to hear in the comments, in the chat here, what is it that you're most excited about? What trends that I talked about are you most excited about? Or perhaps what tech trends or emerging technologies have I not talked about so far in this episode that you're excited about or that you think might best benefit your organization or other organizations in general. I'd love to hear your feedback, so be sure to drop that in the comments if you don't mind. Love to hear from the audience here. So we're gonna shift gears here after break and we're gonna play you a panel discussion with several team members from the Third Stage Consulting team. I won't list them all here right now because there are several of them, but they're all from the Third Stage Consulting team. And we had a panel discussion recently in this podcast where we talked about strategy and planning and some of the things to be aware of as you define a strategy and as you plan for a digital transformation or an ERP implementation. So we thought this would be a great clip to play to add some additional context and case studies and a little bit more real life examples to go with some of the theoretical stuff that we've talked about so far in this episode. So we're gonna play you that clip here in just a moment and then later stick around because after that, we're also gonna talk about some of the change strategies, change management and people strategies you should be aware of as well. So we're going to play you that clip of the panel discussion when we come back from a quick break. But first, we'll take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or 
download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. This is the digital strategy episode. This is the episode that covers everything you need to know about digital transformation strategy and defining a roadmap for 2024 and beyond. And uh, we're going to play you a clip that will hopefully help you have some additional context and case studies and examples, and real life examples of digital strategies that work and digital strategies that don't work for organizations. And we wanted to have a panel discussion, uh, which we did on this podcast not too long ago, earlier this year, we had this uh, panel discussion where several team members from the third stage consulting team were joined, or, or they joined me on this podcast to talk about what some of the key things are that they're thinking about as it relates to digital strategy and planning. So let's go ahead and roll the clip here of the panel discussion talking about digital strategy and planning. Teresa Richardson from third stage consulting. Uh, who's a director uh, on the team here based in the United States. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I uh, enjoy. I look forward to enjoying this conversation. It's uh, one of the, the bedrocks of what we do, and uh, I'm sure everyone is just as passionate as me about this. So. Yes, and we're going we're gonna to touch on some hot buttons for you throughout this conversation, including change management and process improvement. So I know those are two areas that are you're particularly passionate about, so we're definitely going to touch on those pretty heavily here today as we talk about implementation, readiness, and planning. Um, and then we also have Nate Stroer, who is practice lead at Third Stage Consulting, also based out of our, our Denver office. Um, Nate, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks, Eric. Got, got a lot of good topics to talk about today and look forward to uh, sharing some of our experiences. Absolutely. And then um, Michelle Weiss, we have Michelle, who's a senior manager at Third Stage Consulting based out of the United States, out of New York. Um, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And Michelle has a, a background in, in project management, among other things. So when we talk about governance, controls, project management, all that good stuff, um, that'll be an area that Michelle will be able to help us unpack and understand a bit more as well. And then, of course, we have Kyler Cheatham, who is also the uh the host of our thirst or uh, gosh what's the name of our podcast again it's called transformation ground transformation control she's transformation uh, ground control <laughs> transformation ground control i should probably remember that name since you and i host it together don't worry um, i got you i'm here hi everybody good yeah. to see some familiar faces um good morning sam what well, I, I guess it's good afternoon sam um hi peter Good. So we've got you have some repeat guests here joining us live today. And, and again, any questions you have as we get going, I'd love to hear, hear your comments. Um, so I guess just to start, um, and actually in this conversation, this is a little bit different than most of our live streams in that we're actually going to show you a framework. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop it up on the screen. I'll take it away. We're going to kind of keep coming back to this one slide, this one graphic that summarizes what some of the major work streams are within implementation readiness and implementation planning. But before I start to show you sort of the conceptual framework and we start to unpack that in a little bit more detail, I wanted to talk about just why implementation planning and implementation readiness is so important to digital transformation success. And I guess just to maybe preface the question for you, Nate, uh, to get us started on this is, you know, a lot of times what we see with our clients and with, especially in cases where we come into the picture later where the project's already underway and perhaps they're experiencing some problems and they ask us to come get the project back on track. 
what often ends up happening is is there's a tendency to to want to just jump right in to a project, start building stuff, start building technology, and let's just start deploying it as quickly as we can because we've got milestones to meet, we've got a budget, we've got limited resources, so let's just go, 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 go. And one of the things that we see is a lot of times, you, in most cases, it helps a ton just to slow things down a bit early on to get that right implementation plan and, and readiness plan in place so that you can actually speed things up and be more effective later. And in the grand scheme of things, that actually is the, the fastest way to implement, even though it may not feel like it because you're not getting started right away on the technology stuff, which is where, as humans, that's kind of where our brains go. Um, so I guess, Nate, uh, just to start off, you know, why why is that implementation planning um, so important to transformation success? Well, I think it's it's safe to say that the most, most people within an organization have been through a, a technology implementation. So that's something people are really familiar with. Digital transformation, however, is something that most people aren't familiar with. Um, as a result, the organizations really need, um, as you head into the uncharted territories, a, a well-developed roadmap for success. At a minimum, you need to include your milestones, your resources, and your desired outcome. Or put another way, what, what are we doing? Who will be doing it? How long are we going to be doing it? And the, really, the, the most important piece is the desired outcome. And I think you alluded to it earlier, Eric. Most organizations we come into, in fact, I would say probably 95% say, hey, we're really good with this step. We know where we're going. Let's just get started. Let's jump in. And I, I often compare it to, to saying, you know, like, hey, we're going to go on a road trip from Denver to Los Angeles. Let's just go. Let's just get on the road and start driving. Well, you're really, yeah, you can do that. You might, you might end up in LA. You might end up in Portland. So it's really important to say, like, where are we going? How are we going to get there? And what's our desired outcome? And who's going to be a part of it? And when when you address these things, and some organizations really do know what they're doing, and so it's a very simple process of just confirming all of that. But it's really important that everyone's on the same page. Because of this being such uncharted territory, you have to make sure that everyone's real familiar with what you're doing and how you're doing it and what the desired outcome is before you get started. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great analogy. The you know, driving from Denver to Los Angeles. Sometimes I'll, I'll take that analogy even one step further and say it's almost like you know you're going to Los Angeles, but you're not quite sure where you're starting from. That's almost how a lot of organizations or how it feels for a lot of organizations when they don't do this implementation readiness. Because so much of what, what you're tasked with early in a transformation is to figure out not just where you're going and what that future state is, but sort of where are we today and how do we, how do we close that gap? Um, otherwise, you're sort of flying or driving in the dark, I guess I'd say, um, on your way to Los Angeles without a clear, clear vision or direction there. Um, well, that's a good that's a good overview. Thank you for that. And again, we're going to come back to the framework and talk about what some of the specific components of implementation readiness are. And I think that'll help bring some of this to life, you know, because right now we're sort of at the high level, but we'll come down into the, the details here in a moment. Um, but before we do that, um, another question for you, Teresa, is that, um, you know, Nate just talked about why it's important to have this implementation readiness uh, phase and why it's so important to success. Um, what are some examples that you've seen organizations or that you know of our clients' uh, troubles or the things that they face when they run when they don't take the time or the appropriate amount of time doing this upfront sort of phase zero of implementation planning and implementation readiness? What are some of the consequences or some of the symptoms that you see as a result of that? Sure. So. Um, three really come to mind, and again, they all 
tied back to, in my opinion, that three-legged stool or that pyramid of success, the people, process, technology. So you could run the risk of misalignment, meaning are we taking the time to understand our business goals and our business strategy to the technology strategy? Will this technology support that growth in the future? So if you're not understanding where the two really connect and how they collaborate with one another or support one another, you could misalign your, your business goals to, to the technology. Another one is, and, and some of the things that I love is, is risking the, the cultural and organizational progress, right? So looking at your stakeholders, do they understand the change? Do they know what's coming? Um, are they part of the, the conversation to create the solution that they need to help support what they're doing within that change as it moves forward? So you have that, that risk of losing or creating a bigger divide in your culture, depending on where you start. And then the last would be, in my opinion, um, is that operational disruption, right? So are we really understanding the total cost of what this is gonna be, the cost of the organization. You really have to look at all of those to make sure that you're not offsetting one for the other. So I know in a lot of your videos, you talk about, you know, if we're not looking at that, that picture from a holistic perspective, you can have a huge impact, negative impact to what we're doing. So although your, you know, your implementation could cost a million dollars, if you're not looking at how this impacts your operation, it could be, you know, three to four times higher than that, just to level set and get everything moving back to where it should be. So in my opinion, it's not just the technology, it's it's the people, the process and the technology, and they all need to be evaluated. And by using the implementation, writing this framework, you're able to look at each one of those sections to make sure everything's aligned and moving to where it needs to go. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And you, you hit on this really important topic or this important point of alignment or lack thereof of internal mm -hmm. alignment. And uh, that's a really important one because a lot of times when you think about why these projects fail or what some of the common challenges are that organizations face, you think of things like, you know, resistance to change or uh, poor project management, governance and controls, uh, technology doesn't work the way you want it to. You know, you think of all these different symptoms, but a lot of times when you dig underneath that and you really trace back why those symptoms happened in the first place, so much of that traces back to that lack of alignment. And if you're not aligned internally as a team, as you get started and you get going down this path, you're going to spend a lot of time and money, wasted time and money because you're not aligned. You're not on the same page. You're trying to make Absolutely. key decisions that are costing you time and money during the implementation. Even um, the other thing too. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, even with your business processes, you think, okay, this is a technology and we're going to focus on this. But if, if your processes, internal processes don't support it or something's missing or you need to re-engineer it and you don't take the time to look at that, it, it, it's not going to be a good scenario when you flip the switch and, and you're expecting a certain outcome. And then you realize, OK, well, we need to re-engineer this or look at that. You're wasting a lot of time and resources. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, too, that we we noticed that I would just add to your to your list of things you mentioned that that cause or, or that point to why implementation readiness is so, is so important in addition to alignment is the realistic expectations and just really knowing again back to the the driving analogy yes we're going to los angeles but now we have a clear vision of where we're starting from and how we're going to get there what's the terrain we've got to navigate 
organizationally, operationally, all that stuff. And if you don't have that up front, not only do you have misalignment, but you also have unrealistic expectations or you just don't know how long the project's going to take, how much it's going to cost and how much it's going to cost you in terms of resources. And so you end up guessing and you usually end up wrong and then you blow past the budget and it takes longer than you think because you didn't have that that clear vision up front. So it, it's sort of like we're trying to unpack or, or trace back why so many of these problems happen. The good news is you can trace it back to a small handful of things that then percolate and explode into a bunch of other symptoms. So if you can really attack the root cause, which is really what we're getting at here today, that's that's one of the more effective ways to handle that. Um, what I wanted to do for those of you that are watching, um, and those of us, those of you listening on the on the audio podcast, we won't see this, but we'll we'll try our best to bring this to life verbally. But I'm going to show you a uh, screen or a graphic that shows um, what we mean by by implementation readiness and what some of the major components and work streams are. And I want to kind of walk through each of these one by one, and then we're going to come back to questions from the audience as we as we dig into this. Um, if I take away the slide as we get going in the conversation, don't worry, I'll I'll bring it back. Um, and if you if anyone wants a copy of this visual, we're happy to share it with you. Just just email us after the show. Um, but the first thing I, I want to talk about is the executive alignment work stream, which is the, the first uh, work stream you see at the top of this graphic. And that's one of the major work streams of implementation readiness, which is really ensuring that you have internally at the executive level, you have clarity and definition and articulation of what it is this project and this transformation is going to mean to the organization. And when I say that, I, I think a lot of people think intuitively, like they think, oh, yeah, I've done that. We've defined that we need to replace our old system. I'm, I'm not talking about replacing and modernizing technology. I'm talking about just what is it that you want this project to accomplish for your organization? It might be heavily focused on replacing old technology, but why? Why are you replacing the old technology? What are the goals and objectives you're trying to accomplish? And within that, more importantly, what are all the different decisions and parameters and guardrails you need in terms of decisions to ensure that you have a strategy that's aligned with your, your overall corporate or organizational goals and objectives? So this is where we typically would, would help clients through the process of making key decisions around things like, um, for example, are, are there certain parts of our business that we are willing to just change our business to fit the technology if there are technology limitations, which there typically are when you, when you do these sorts of enterprise tech rollouts, or, and or are there other parts of our business or certain workflows or processes where we know that's our secret sauce. We know we're different and we're intentionally different because we're that's our dif differentiator as an organization and we're not going to compromise on that. Therefore, the technology needs to change to fit the business. So you think about that, those decisions, which there is no one size or one answer for an entire organization. Usually it's case by case or depending on what process or department you're talking about. But if you don't have that clarity of vision defined at the executive level, What's going to happen is you're going to get into the implementation and there's going to be confusion as to do we customize the software or not or do we do we just change the business to fit the software or not and there's and you end up spinning your wheels and wasting a lot of time and money on some of those decisions if you haven't clearly defined those those decisions early on so that's sort of at a high level what that that strategic and executive alignment uh work stream alludes to um, but I want to shift gears and maybe as we kind of do a flyover view here of these different work streams and then come back to follow up questions. We're here playing you a panel discussion recording from a interview we did on this podcast not too long ago, where we talk about digital strategy and planning for a transformation. These are the things that are very important to a digital strategy definition. So I wanted to play this for you and we've got a lot more to cover. But first, we're going to take a quick break. 
We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. We're here with a panel of guests who are talking about digital strategy planning. Let's jump back into the conversation. I guess for you, Teresa, when you look at the operational readiness uh, piece of that, the operational um, the operational readiness work stream, why is that so important to, to a transformation? Well, it, you know, again, in my opinion, if you're only focused on getting that technology in and you're not looking at the simplest question is, is your organization ready for this implementation? Do they have the processes to support the technology? Have we done an operational gap analysis to look at current state to future state and understand that transitionary period in between? If those questions aren't asked, there's going to be a lot of rework, a lot of, of wasted time, effort and resources on an organization's end and a lot of missed opportunity for improving your culture and even even the, the, the processes within your organization to improve. So, again, in my opinion, operational readiness is just part of the of the pie, just part of the equation that you really need to look into. So you need to make sure that you validate these processes and these requirements to ensure that you're on the same page. Is there any need to re-engineer or update or to create new processes, new roles, new responsibilities for training opportunities, for communication opportunities? It's all part of that whole ecosystem that you need to look at for success. Right. I mean, I yeah. could take a whole hour talking about this because it's so very important. So, you know, yeah. These are that the foundation of what you're doing. And yeah, it sort of serves as a, as a blueprint for for your whole transformation. When you think about think about building a house, um, you need to know how you're going to build that house and in sort of what the design is, where the walls are going to go, where the foundation goes, where the plumber and the electrician and drywall people are all going to come in and do their role. But what ends up happening is organizations end, end up going to the plumber. Um, in this case, the system integrator, the software vendor, they go to the plumber and say, hey, tell us how to build a house and help us build a house. And so they just start with the plumber, but they don't have the foundation. They don't have the other pieces in place that are needed, but yet the plumber's there advising them on how to build a house. So that's the sort of uh, analogy that, that we found to be effective with organizations is you've got to treat your transformation the same way you would treat building a house. You need to have that general contractor who, would, who could also help manage those business process pieces of it. 
And um, that's almost like having an architect on on a home building project. You've got the architect and the design of what it's going to look like, and then you've got all the other contractors that can actually execute and, and make that a reality. Um, so that's a really good a good point you bring up there. I was going to um, ask you something about that, Eric. Um, sure. One of the things is that a lot of people think, well, how can I come up with my processes if I don't know what the system does, right? Yeah. And that, that's a, you know, and the important thing is to get your processes down, right? And then because the system uh, integrator is not going to help you with that. They're expecting you to come with, this is my process. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to do that fit gap. Now they're going to look, say, you know what? Our system does it this way. Let's talk about it. Can we change this? Can we change that? Can, you know, can we do something to make it more like yours? So um, I think that perception that they're going to help you with that is, is definitely out there and it's not correct. Implementation is expecting you to come with what are your processes? What do you want them to be? in general and then we'll help you with that idea of how does it fit with the software so yeah that's no, a great great point I totally agree with you and, and it's almost like when you think about business processes kind of that level one through five um classification where level one is your real high level macro processes mm -hmm. and then you get down to level five and that's your you know screen by screen button by button what you're doing mm -hmm. in a workflow you know the, the system integrators or the, the software vendors are going to help you with that level five you know, level four and five level of detail and granularity, which obviously that's what they're good at. But then, you, but you still need that overarching framework, kind of that top down level one, two, three definition of this is what we do. This is how we're going to do it. And there's certainly going to be some reconciliation. You mentioned the fit gap piece of it. You're going to have, you're going to have a vision of what you want your business to look like and what you want that blueprint to be. And then you've got the realities of the technology. Um, mm -hmm. Some limitations in some cases where you just can't achieve that vision with that technology. And therefore you decide, what do we do? Do we water down our vision? Do we put in a third party system to help fill that gap. Uh, but then there's also, in some cases too, there's competencies that technology bring to the table that you may not envision early on, mm -hmm. which is okay. You, you start to get into things like uh, machine learning or some of the more automated tasks that can happen in, in new technology. That's gonna enable and give you ideas for how you could improve your processes. So you kind of have to take top down and bottom up and kind of meet right. in the middle there with the technology driven versus the operational and strategic driven piece of it. Um, so it's a, it's a great point about not wanting to defer too much to the to the software vendor and, and how the technology works um, without that clear vision up front. Um, okay, and, and back to your other, uh, arguably your your area of biggest interest and passion, Teresa, is uh, is organizational change or the people readiness. And I say arguably, and really, I don't really think that's up for debate. I think change management is clearly <laughs> your, your your number one uh, uh, mindset when it comes to transformation, which is a good thing. So this people yeah. readiness uh, work stream here, um, tell us about that one. Why is that one so important uh, in this implementation readiness phase of a project? So I have to be honest with you. When, when I saw that particular uh, point of uh, discussion today, you know, I started taking notes and writing all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, this is awesome because change. And, and I don't think a lot of people understand when this really happens. But change really begins the minute the decision is made, right? The minute the decision is made from the top or whomever is, is you know, going down this path, that's when you need to understand how you're going to fit change management within the overall plan. Because change begins the minute the decision is made. And I am like, I'm going to write that on my board. I'm going to, you know, you get these moments of awesomeness. I'm like, oh my God, that's a great saying. But it's true, right? 
change begins the minute the decision is made. And a lot of organizations, it's like an afterthought, but people make our organizations. People make the wheel turn. And I've said this 20,000 million times now, you know, unless your process is 99.9% automated, people are involved and you have to take that into consideration when you're looking at a transformation. It's, that's If you want it to work, that's what you got to do. <laughs> you know, some people, they just forget about it. I'm like, okay, you don't want them to work, fine. But it, that's what you need. So making sure that you have your people readiness assessments. Are your teams engaged? Do they understand what the change is? Do they, do, can they articulate it? Do they understand why it's important? How is it going to benefit? Even when you're looking at process re-engineering or creating what we just discussed on, on how our, our processes are going to evolve or you know how are they going to support, nine times out of a 10, you'll have a change in roles and responsibilities. So do your people understand what their new role in their new world looks like? If not, we have to provide training, communication, you know, maybe re-education, whatever, because we have to support them in order for them to support the technology. And that's a lot of times where they miss the mark. You know, we talked about, you know, the, the gap analysis and the processes. You have to do the same thing with your people. You have to evaluate their skill sets to current state to future state. What, what new skills are required in this new environment? And the last is, you know, people transformation. I, I can't say this enough. You know, creating a culture of change mindset doesn't need to stop when your technology implementation is over. You want to grow that. You want to cultivate that because they're the people that are going to see the next opportunity or wave of improvement, of, of cost savings, of, you know, a, a defect, uh, uh, calling out a defect, making sure that things are running appropriately. We're giving a service to somebody or giving a product to somebody, and they're the first ones to see an opportunity to make it better. Yeah. And I know yeah. we only have a half an hour, but I could go on and on and on. It's <laughs> it's important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely important. I'm going to share a few comments as we're getting in here. And I'm actually going to come back to some some audience questions in just a moment. But I want to get through these last two work streams a bit uh, first. But, um, you know, just some great comments here from from Chris on LinkedIn. He mentions that getting the as is processes <laughs> can take months. And then uh, someone else on LinkedIn, I don't see the name of who who posted it, but um, don't underestimate the effort it takes to educate your system integrator on your business, which can then which then influences your business processes. Um, so that's a great point, too. And, and the better job you've done of defining your your operational plan or your, your, your future state business processes and your change management plan, the better your system integrator is going to be able to add value to the project and sort of fit within fit within your vision for what the project is, rather than making it about them and their vision. Um, and, and that's a that's an important uh dynamic or, or mindset shift that, that organizations often face. Um, okay, Nate, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And we talked about, so we talked about strategic alignment. We talked about operational readiness, people readiness, and then there's technical readiness. Maybe help us understand that at a high level in terms of um, why that work stream is so important. Or what is it and why is it so important? Well, I think this goes, <clears throat> goes back and it's, we're starting to hit a, a theme with all of these different readiness pieces of the project. But I think it really, again, comes back to where are we now? Where do we want to go? And how will technology help us get there? And when we say, where are we now? I think it's important to everyone or organizations and, and people for, for all that's worth uh, tend to focus on 
what's not working. But I think it's important to say what is working, what what's what are we doing well, and how is technology helping us to do that well? And then what are the challenges, and how can this new technology help us to get to where we want to go? But I think it's also important, and, and folks tend to, and organizations tend to focus on one technology, and, and it, it usually is around an ERP system, a CRM package, um, a human resource platform. But I think it's really important to know that all of these work in the overall technology landscape. So all of your systems really need to not only work together today, but work together in the future to support your vision. And I think Chris, on in, in looking Chris uh, McPartland, I, I think you made a really good point in one of your posts here, and that is the technology may already be there. And we, we've had organizations before where you come in and you say, you know what, I think we're actually, you're focusing on an ERP implementation. Maybe this is something that you already have in place that we just need to optimize. We just need to build the people and the processes around the technology that's already there. So it's really looking at all of the people, process, and technology, know that they don't exist in a bubble, and then finding out again, back to those questions. Where are we now? Where do we want to go? And how will the technology support that vision? And I think um, just to add to that is also making sure that the people that are going to be working within your organization with that technology are, you know, prepared or getting support to get to a point where they're going to be able to support that. So um, a little bit of that people training, people change management for them, uh, the IT folks, which is, you know, have a bigger um, role sometimes than than end users specifically, just because they're going to be, you know, implementing integrations and other systems to support the, the bigger system, right? So. We're here playing you a panel discussion recording from a interview we did on this podcast not too long ago, where we talk about digital strategy and planning for a transformation. These are the things that are very important to a digital strategy definition. So I wanted to play this for you, and we've got a lot more to cover. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. We're here with a panel of guests who are talking about digital strategy planning. Let's jump back into the conversation. And I yeah. think one of one of our clients earlier this month made a really good point. He said, you're dealing with end users that are used to a rotary dial phone and we're giving them a smartphone right now. It's still a phone. It still communicates from one person to another, but it's a whole different way of doing it. So you can't just assume okay, we're going to take the old phone, take it out of the wall, hand someone a smartphone. They know how to use a phone. There's a whole process of not only training people, but getting the right people in place to take advantage of the technology. And I think that second piece is really the most important one. And that is 
some people not not replaced, but you might need to get some people in there with different skill sets and different ways that they do their job and what the way they um, work within the organization to really take the best advantage of the technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, that technical work stream is also important because it provides the architecture and the integration for how technologies will tie together. Even if you're implementing a single ERP system, you've got to tie together different modules within that system and you've got to have an architecture for that. And not to mention the fact that it's highly likely, if not, you know, 90% plus likely that you're going to have to integrate your core ERP system to some other technologies, whether it's a regulatory system or a, you know, a, a industry specific type of solution or whatever the case may be. Um, okay. And then Michelle, help us understand the last work stream here at a high level, the project governance and planning. What is that work stream and why is it so important during this phase of the project in particular? Sure. I mean, this is the, the work stream that helps you determine uh, how are things going to be managed, who's going to manage them. Um, so the first one being the project governance is, you know, how are you going to escalate things? Who's going to be the person that things get escalated to? Um, how are you going to project manage this? Are you using certain software to do that? Or, you know, just kind of getting ready for uh, that project management role and, and how things are going to work. Um, also, I think part of this is, um, and it may bleed into the others is, you know, sometimes people assume that ex even executives know what their role is in a project, right? They you just assume they know. Well, this is also part of defining what their roles are going to be and what is expected of them. Um, so setting some guidelines as to, okay, you're part of this project team. These are the expectations for your role. So you're the executive sponsor this is what's expected right you are available you attend certain meetings etc so people know what um, to be ready for uh, for the project um, also in building out your project team um, you know realizing how much time you're going to need from those people and does it make sense to for them to be doing their job as well as being part of the project in some in huge implementations, no, that does not make sense. You're actually going to need those people full time. And so figuring out a way to um, support them in that by backfilling those positions. So I know that that's a big thing in, in really huge uh, implementations where, you know, again, people don't real companies don't realize that that's going to have to happen. So they're going to have to hire people to take over some of these very important roles. But you need those really important people as part of the project to define all of these processes and, and you know, make make the, the project work. Um, and then it's also looking ahead of time about what might be risks in your, you know, organization. So getting those risks down and um, starting to think about how to mitigate some of those risks. Uh, so I don't yeah. know what anyone else has to add to that, but those are my my few comments. Yeah, some of the uh the the decision making is a really important one that you mentioned which is the you know how do we make decisions as the project goes who makes the decisions mm -hmm. um, are you know a lot of times organizations delegate decision making about key business processes and strategic decisions they delegate that to the project team in the spirit of delegation and just getting people involved so it's, it's typically coming from a good place but what ends up happening is you lose that alignment you lose that alignment with your with your future state strategic vision if you don't have that governance in place so it's not just about 
keeping a project on track, making sure you finish on time on budget. It's also about making sure that you are delivering a transformation that aligns with the executive and the, the strategic alignment strategy of the organization. And it's um, also um, selecting the project team all the way down to the user, you know, the UAT people. So the users mm -hmm. are going to UAT. So that they are communicated to about how the project is going. Maybe they're not involved in obviously in all the meetings, but they know that this is a, a, a role that they're going to fill and get them involved, right? I think there was a question earlier about, you know, they don't listen to the end users. How do they get involved? Well, UAT would be the place where, where they're involved specifically, but the idea is that your organization has chosen representatives to be part of the project that should know the processes and the things that you're doing to communicate those to the project team and hopefully get you know some of those things into the into the project um, you know you can't involve everyone in projects like this but the UAT piece is where those users get to play with the system test what you know the processes that have been set up and voice their opinions this is working this is not working and that's their chance to really um, give that input I think so um, yeah. They need Absolutely. to know that they're going to be part of the project even from the beginning. And, you know, obviously they're going to get know that they're going to get training on, an, especially if it's a brand new system, right? Sometimes that you switch from one platform to another and it's completely different. Letting them know that, yes, you're going to get some training. Everyone's going to get training. And that's, that comes in Teresa's, you know, communication. Communicate with the whole organization, not just the project team um, as to what's right. what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a good segue because I, I actually had that question queued up to answer next. So you, you had it, you had a perfect transition here into some of the audience questions. And so thank you for paying on YouTube for asking that great question about uh, user involvement. Um, you know, while we're on this thread here of, of people and change, um, you know, Teresa, I'd be curious, uh, Teresa and Nate in particular, curious to hear your thoughts on this, but this is from um, LinkedIn. The comment is the scariest part of digital transformation is the poor level of communication. Some global managers believe their own perception is the only valid, the only one that's valid, and they do not value the experience and limitations of end users and, and medium to low managers uh, within the organization. So how do you overcome that, Teresa? Maybe I'll start with you. You know, when you talk about communication and poor communication or, or the, I think they're also, this person's also getting to something even deeper, which is the, the managers thinking they're right or only their perception is valid. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I know it's a huge question, but what, what's your first pass You see the wincing in my face like, <laughs> well, interestingly, you know, most change, impactful change comes from that middle layer or the middle manager area because they're the ones that are that conduit between upper and, in my opinion, team member level. Uh, interaction with the process of the technology. Oh my goodness, you put a smile on my face, Kyler. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, making, I mean, when you have managers like that, I mean, in my opinion, a manager doesn't need to be the one driving the change if an organization is really engaged because you have change agents, you have the people that that want to see this change move forward so you don't really have to leave it up to that manager um, if you really want to make that switch uh, in my opinion change is an organization's responsibility so the communication 
it's like a cascaded communication plan where every level of an organization has the idea of the change, but how does that change impact them at their level of influence is very important. Um, again, I'm not, the, I'm not the type of professional that would allow or permit one level or one person to, to just stop everything. I think it takes an entire, <laughs> entire community to, to make, embrace, and really move that change forward. So if the question is, how do you get around that? I think the person asking that question really knows, right? You see the problem. So step up and fix it. Because honestly, everyone within an organization, they're not there just to be there. You're taking time from their family. You're taking time from their you know, lives. They, they're there because they want to be there. They want to do a good job. So if you see it, you know what? Address it. So that's right. what I would say. Yeah, it seems like it's a it's a balancing act between, you know, we talk about executive alignment and that clarity of strategic vision. So on one hand, you kind of need a somewhat of a top down, uh, even though that's not a cool word to say nowadays. It's all about bottoms up and servant leadership and stuff like that, which is great. But you, you do need that top down direction and, and strategic framework. But then you also need you can't overdo that either. You need to have that sort of bottoms up um, involvement of end users, but also the communication to and among different departments and different people within the organization. So you kind of have to do both and you have to find that right balance for your organization. I mean, to be honest with you, if, if uh, you know, if worse comes to work, you need to, you need to talk to what people listen to dollars. You know what, mm -hmm. if, if my manager or whomever isn't, isn't making it happen and senior leadership's like, well, why tie it back to the dollars? That, that'll get their right. attention. You're just wasting ten gazillion dollars because this isn't happening. You'll see. You'll see some changes. So, I mean, there's plenty of ways around that around that barrier. And uh, here at Third Stage, we are we are very good at identifying what they are and just kind of like blowing it up. And yeah, absolutely. Happy, you know. So. Yep. And then here's an interesting comment from Chris um, Simmons on. LinkedIn, he says, for some people, change can be difficult, especially those who may have been with the company for many years. Um, and that's a great point. If you have a highly tenured staff, you know, change management is just going to be harder. If you're a an older, more established organization, change is just going to be harder. And uh, a lot, I think too many organizations underestimate that. And they think, no, 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 it's not going to be hard because our people hate the old green screen system. So they're yeah. going to love the change. Well, they maybe they will at the end of the day, but it's going to be a very painful process. I think that's the part that people don't fully understand. Honestly, I think that's a pot of gold in my mind. I mean, you have all that tenure, all that experience. And, you know, I know you just maybe saw me get a little excited there, but that's what it is. It's like a pot of gold. It's 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 all this experience and this you're there for a reason. You've been there for 40 years. Well, you love your job. You're passionate about it. So let's tap into that. Let's figure it out and have them become the cheerleaders. I mean, just because someone's been there 40 years and they're using a phone on the wall versus someone out of college who has a super duper fast new version iPhone that you can look at and it turns out it doesn't mean we're going to discount the person that's been there for 40 years. In my opinion, that's a huge opportunity. That's a huge pot of gold, you know, and I tap into it. I'd be like, hey, let's talk. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> We're here playing you a panel discussion recording from a interview we did on this podcast not too long ago, where we talk about digital strategy and planning for a transformation. These are the things that are very important to a digital strategy definition. 
So I wanted to play this for you, and we've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. We're here with a panel guests who are talking about digital strategy planning. Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's an interesting question or, or comment from uh, uh, Furkan, Furkan. I hope I'm not mispronouncing your name too terribly. On LinkedIn, he, he's responding to Chris McPartland, who we showed a comment from him earlier. I think, Nate, you mentioned him earlier. Um, he mentions that another crucial point is following these processes, which are related to relevant trends, because it changes quickly, in my opinion. Um, so I guess, you know, maybe I'll, I'll turn that into a question. What about, you know, how do you, from a process improvement perspective, how do you um, ensure that you're, you're taking advantage of sort of best practices or, or um, improved business processes that can deliver real business value? Um, how can you do that? But at the same time, you know, do that in the context of a very rapidly changing tech environment where technology is constantly changing and the world's changing. How do you, how do you sort of define that moving target uh, in a transformation? Or do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Teresa? Maybe we'll start with you on that. Oh, I, was gonna, I mean, <laughs> I could talk all day on this again, but you know, when you're looking at how the rapid movement of technology is occurring from your industry as well as your organization, just because it's moving fast, is that what you need for your business is my question. So yeah. I mean, flavors of the month, I mean, I hear it all the time. It comes and goes. So if something's moving quickly and, and you know, it, it's something that you want to, to deploy, step back, take a look at that, the, the strategic alignment and how your processes and what are your strategic goals? Does that, is that the right fit for your business? Ask the people who are touching the process. You know, it, it might be a shiny bell here, but when I'm involved in the process, will it work for me? Will it get a better service, a better product, a better whatever? Am I going to help my consumer, my customer by changing these processes and making it shiny, faster, whatever? I, I think even before you want to do that, you would really need to look at whether or not it's the right thing to do for your business. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a, and speaking of speed and uh, change, um, here's a question I want to maybe see what your thoughts are here, Nate. Uh, on this question again from Chris McPartland. Um, but I feel like this question really gets to the root or to the to the heart of why <laughs> implementation readiness is so difficult for organizations to think through and to, and to be patient with or, or to, to actually take the time to do is, uh, I'll, I'll say it in his words because he says it better than I probably would have. Um, but he says, I'm always under so much pressure to start delivering change as there's always excitement and momentum in the early stages. 
So how do you ensure you get the time up front in an agile inpatient world? And I think that's a brilliant question because that that is the problem with implementation readiness and why so many companies skip past it is because we live in this agile world. We, we want to move fast. And it's sort of like it's sort of like a human psychology sort of thing where if we're not building technology, then we're not making progress. I can see and touch the technology, but I can't see and touch all this implementation readiness stuff. So let's just skip past it in the name of agile and go go build some stuff. And that that creates a lot of problems, in my opinion, um, that that can lead to problems later. And, and that's hence the whole reason for this this entire topic and conversation. But what, what are your thoughts on this, Nate? I mean, have you seen this before? How have you seen our clients overcome that? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, at, you know, and, and that is a great point. And I think when I when <clears throat> when you ask if we've seen it, I think with every client, we've seen it. And I think it's it, it really goes back to the, the point and I'll use your analogy, Eric, but it really comes back to the point of starting from the beginning. Where are we now? Where are we going to go? And then really building a good plan on how you're going to get there and communicating. And um, I'll, I'll try and hit in all three of those. But it again, kind of using that analogy of building a house, it's it's sitting down and saying, what do we want out of this house? Are we building a are we building it for a family? Do we want a lot of living space so that we can entertain a lot, that sort of thing. That's the vision. And then really sitting down and saying, what's the plan? And, and, and saying, do we, you know, we have to dig a foundation. We have to frame the house. We have to get the plumbing and the electrical. And then really the most important piece in my book <clears throat> is communication. And I think, and I think the communication has to be consistent. It has to be, um, frequent, consistent, and concise. And, and I think it, as long as you can take your communication and tie it all into where are we now, where are we going, get, get it in front of people, if, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, at staff meetings, whatever that is, and then, and then make it concise, make it relevant to what the end user sees and what their piece is in the overall project. So people don't want to read five page emails, but they, they want bullets. They want to know what the change is, what's coming up, what's their involvement in it and what can be expected of them. And I think if you do that, it, it, you, it lets people know that again, here's where we're going. The end, the end goal is to build a house that we can all live in. And yeah, it's not exciting when you're seeing a hole dug in the backyard and a foundation is being poured. That's not really something you can put your hands on. But as long as people know you do this before you do this, before you do this, and then we all move into the house, it gives them an idea of where where you're going. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I want to add to that is, you know, going back to the earlier part of our discussion, you're talking about, you know, what risks are we in danger of? And I think one of, one of the things that just popped in my head as he was uh so eloquently describing that is the risk of a restart. So that's a very costly thing, not just in money and resources, but in the buy-in and adoption that you've created up to that point for your organization. Um, when you don't really take time, take a step back and look at what are we really doing? where are we and where do we really want to go and what that piece in between is if you don't do that then you're you know you're moving along your timeline you find something that you need to adjust you got to stop you got to adjust and then that whole cost of a restart is huge it's huge yeah yeah absolutely that's that's a great point um 
and I agree with that, by the way, it's a lot cheaper and faster to do it right the first time than it is to mess it up and th think that you're speeding things up and actually you're just headed faster towards a failure. Uh, making sure you get that that right up front is, is super important. You're um, headed to the brick wall. Get it? The brick wall behind you. Boom. No. <laughs> 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 <No. laughs> little digital transformation say, humor here on the show. <laughs> if you do a restart, then that's where people start getting that exhaustion of, yep. you know, I think there was a question about change exhaustion, mm -hmm. right? If you're going to have to restart something and they're not going to, they're going to be too, too exhausted from all the change before and it didn't work. So why would I pay attention now? So it definitely has a huge effect on, on morale, I think, Absolutely. as well as uh, putting the project in a, with, starting restarting a project with higher risk because your people are just like okay i'm over it right so yeah um, i five across the room michelle that was mm -hmm. awesome <laughs> yes yeah no that's a great point and, and i guess just in the interest of time i know we're going to lose at least one panelist here in just a, in just a few seconds uh to a client commitment but before we lose anyone from the panel um i want to ask sort of this capstone question or this closing question here which is um you know, what, what closing advice would you have for an organization that's maybe in the midst of a transformation? Um, and what, what, what should they do to get started? I mean, it, when you think about implementation readiness and doing some of the stuff we talked about here, you know, how do they, how do they get started on it? Whether they're just starting their project or perhaps they're already part of the way through the project, you know, is there, are there pieces of this you can work into your plan sort of midstream if you're already down the path? Um, in other words, is it better late than never to do some of this stuff? I guess, you know, uh, Teresa, why don't we start with you? Because I, I know you're the one we might lose first. In the, yeah, in the abs time yeah absolutely. It's it's you, it better late than never. Um, will it be more work? Yes. But will you uh, appreciate that when it's done the right way? Absolutely. Um, again, people contact us for change management. Let's just say even BPM, middle, almost all the way through. It is an uphill climb, however it can be achieved. Um, one thing that I would say in terms of advice is to take a step back and breathe. I know that excitement is created. We want to do this. It's the right thing to do. But take the time and, and have that due diligence and, and really look at, okay, what is it that we're doing? Why are we doing it? Where do we want to go with it, right? And then who are the people we need to bring to really evaluate from not just that unbiased view, but that agnostic view? Like, are we doing the right things? A lot of people are going to tell us a lot of things. Yep. Bye, bye, bye. Take this, you know, purchase this, purchase this. But is it right for our business? That's a question you have to ask. And if it isn't, what do we need to do to fix it? Yeah, great point. Yeah, thanks for that. How about you, Nate? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it. I think it's real simple, and I think it's uh, create the vision, create the plan, and and so create the vision, plan the work, and work the plan. And I think that that's that uh, again very oversimplified. But as long as everyone's on the same page of where the vision is, as long as everyone agrees on the plan, and as long as you're working the plan, like Teresa said, it's never too late to start. But it's really important to know where you are and what's the plan to get you caught up and what's the plan to get you to ultimately where you want to be and be realistic about the challenges that are ahead and, and then work the plan. Yep. Great point. How about you, Michelle, any closing thoughts or recommendations to organizations that are considering or, or wanting to address some of these implementation readiness concepts? Sure. Yeah. I, 
Nate just covered kind of if you're in the middle of one. So I want to give advice to people that are just getting started. And like also Teresa said, it all starts the moment you decide you want to make the change. And some of, some of the implementation readiness steps can start happening while you're choosing your software, right? So that way you maybe don't feel so rushed to try to get into implementation. So thinking about who, who those important people in your company are that you might want to try to retain for the project, um, come, you know, starting to communicate about this, forming some excitement to get ready for that implementation. So, um, you know, some of the process stuff might not be able to happen until you've chosen the software, because now, you know, you have some idea about how they do things a little differently, but um, a lot of it can start sooner and, and it, it's never too soon, I think, to start thinking about what, how you're going to communicate, um, you know, with the change management plans and things like that. So start yeah. early and it'll get you ready and faster. Yeah, great point. I don't think I've yet met a client that said, yeah, we started this whole implementation readiness thing too soon. We should have waited <laughs> or, or the change management stuff. We should have waited on the change management. We started right. way too early on that. I've never heard a client say that. <laughs> All right. Thank you to our guests who are on the show several months ago and are back on the show today without even knowing it. So thank you for being a part of that conversation, a very enlightening conversation to talk about digital strategy and planning. And uh, one of the things we did talk about in that panel discussion quite a bit and a number of times is change management. And you can't talk about digital strategy, or at least you can't talk about effective digital strategies without talking about change management. So we're, we're going to pull on that thread a little bit more and dive into and focus on change management strategies here in just a moment. We're going to play you a clip of a YouTube video that talks about the top change management strategies that you should be aware of. So we're going to play you that clip when we come back, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 141. My name is Eric Hamberling. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can watch or listen. You can also subscribe at that website to be sure to go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see current episodes and also to see past episodes as well. You can find the whole library of all 140 plus different episodes of this show that you may have missed. So be sure to check that out at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And last but not least, this is arguably the most important segment of the entire podcast. So I saved it for last, which was either a good idea or maybe it's a terrible idea. I don't know. But the point is you're listening still, and I'm glad you are, because this is, in my opinion, probably the most important part, at least a really important part of this whole conversation, in that you can't talk about digital strategy, or at least you can't talk about being effective in your digital strategy if you don't talk about organizational change management. So that's what we're going to talk about here next. 
And I have, I have a video on my YouTube channel that I posted actually a couple years ago now. It was not too long after COVID because I filmed the video at home. And that's back when I was still filming videos at home because I couldn't go in the office. So, um, and by the way, I, I did socially distance during that time, even though I had a video, videographer in my home, just, just to be clear. But in case you're not worried about that, I'll move on. But I want to talk about uh, change strategies here. And this is a video that, that's been very successful on my YouTube channel. It generates a lot of interest. And it's one of my highest performing videos on my YouTube channel. So I think that means that it's of interest to people and a lot of people are clearly watching it. So I thought it'd be perfect to play for this podcast audience. And it's a video that talks about the top five change strategies to be aware of. And what I wanted to do in this video, and the reason I made this specific video is because I wanted to talk about how change management is so much different than just training and communications. And I wanted to talk about the most important strategies that are included in a complete organizational change strategy and a comprehensive change strategy. And it's really meant to open your, open your eyes and open other team members' eyes as to what change manage, management means beyond training and communications. What are some of those major buckets of things that you need to focus on as you define a change strategy? And these are the things you also wanna be aware of as you define that longer term roadmap. So we start to define a high level strategy now with our change management, management strategy, and then obviously you flush that out and define it in more detail as you get further into the execution phase. But for the time being, since we're talking about digital strategy here today, we thought we'd talk about change management strategies as well. So let's roll the clip where I talk about five things and five change strategies that are most important to defining an effective, not just an effective organizational change strategy, but I would argue these are five things that are super critical to making a digital strategy successful as well. So let's roll the clip. Change management has always been the key to transformation success, but never has it been more true than in 2021. And if you think back over the last year and all the things that have changed with the pandemic, current events, a lot of different things have happened over the last several months and year that has put a lot of strain on organizations and people in general. And so organizational change management has to keep up with the times and needs to evolve to help us manage change better than we have in the past. And it was always a challenge to begin with, and it's even more true today that change management is challenging. So what I want to talk about today are five things that are most important for you to ensure that you have an effective change strategy headed into 2021 and beyond. So just to set the backdrop for what organizations and their people are going through right now is they're going through a lot of change and there's a certain amount of change fatigue that people are suffering from right now within organizations. As I mentioned, they're dealing with not only pandemic and health concerns. They're dealing with economic issues in many cases. They're dealing with a lot of uncertainty at the organizational level and at the personal level. And there's just been a lot of change imposed on people that they may or may not be happy with or comfortable with. So whether you like it or not, your people have already gone through a great huge amount of change. And if you throw a business or digital transformation on top of that, now all of a sudden, you're talking about potentially reaching a breaking point where people just simply aren't able to keep up with magnitude of change in the world. So this is a concept that's commonly known as change fatigue. And when we've talked about change fatigue in the past or when we've talked about change fatigue with clients in the past, typically it's been in the context of when we're trying to change our business or improve our business, if we do it too quickly or we impose too much change at once, that can create change fatigue. And that still is a risk with organizations going through transformations. But today we have to worry about the change fatigue that may already exist before we've even started our 
digital or business transformation. And for many of the reasons I mentioned, those, those changes have been imposed on people leading up until now. So when we create our change strategies, we really have to do a good job of getting a pulse on where people's heads are and their level of comfort with change in general and their overall stress level and morale level. That's very important to really understand as a baseline where people's heads are and how open to change they may be or how resistant to change they may be because they've potentially simply had enough. So understanding this whole concept of change fatigue and really looking at change readiness and assessing the readiness of your organization to handle even more change is something that's very important and a sort of prerequisite to defining an effective change strategy in today's day and age. Just as people have been affected, not necessarily by choice, by a bunch of external factors, organizations themselves have also been affected by external factors. Many of you may work in organizations that were affected by the pandemic and the resulting economic impact. It could have been a increase in demand for your product or service that your organization provides. For some organizations, they were negatively impacted by the world events. But whatever the impact, we have to understand that there's been some external impact to our organizations and to our culture as an organization. So we really have to look at and understand what our culture is today, how our culture has been affected by external events, and what it is we really want our culture to be in the future. And in change management is a great opportunity for us to more deliberately focus on how we want to improve our culture and how we want to continue to improve that, that culture to better align with our overall goals and objectives as an organization. So one of the first steps to effective change management, especially in today's day and age, is to look at what our culture is today, what kind of culture we need to enable whatever goals and objectives and external factors we think we're going to be facing to ensure that we are getting ahead of the curve and bending the culture the way we want to. So doing a cultural assessment, having a cultural change strategy is a very important part of any sort of effective change strategy in today's day and age. Now at the same time that people are changing or feeling change, at the same time cultures are being impacted or, or feeling change from external factors, you also have your own operations and technological change that we have to figure out how to tie it all together. So in other words, we need to figure out as part of our change strategy, how do we align our people, our processes, and our technologies, and organizational change management is typically the glue that holds that all together. So when we look to the future of where we're headed as an organization, and now that we're starting to get used to the way the world is today and the way it's evolving, for better or for worse, we need to understand how we can use change management to ensure that we are furthering the organization, improving the organization from an operational perspective, technological perspective, and ultimately a people perspective as well. And change management, like I said, is really the glue that holds that all together. So think of your change strategy as a way to tie together those three pieces to really align with the future of where you're headed as an organization. Once we have a handle on people processing technology and how we're gonna bend our culture, how we're gonna address change fatigue, now we need to define what our change strategy is and we need to define an effective change management strategy that will best align with who we are as an organization and where we're headed as an organization. And what's important here is that change management typically 
is most effective when you take your overarching strategy, your goals and objectives at a corporate level, and you translate that into specific transformation and change strategies that are aligned with that bigger picture strategy. So in other words, instead of coming in and saying, we're gonna define a change strategy and an overall transformation strategy and doing that in a vacuum, not in the context of your overall strategy, goals and objectives, that's gonna create a certain amount of misalignment that can create a lot of problems later on in your transformation. So one of the first things we wanna do is defining a clear change strategy that takes your strategy goals and objectives and translate that into meaningful change strategies and tactics, as well as overarching transformation strategies and tactics that ensure that we have that level of alignment with the overall direction of the organization. Now, just as we want our change strategy to be well aligned with our overall corporate strategy, we also wanna make sure that our executives and internal stakeholders are all aligned as well. So once we've defined this change strategy and what it is we're gonna to do to better align our people, process, and technologies and affect our culture and bend our culture the way we want to, now we need to look at ways that we ensure that our executives are aligned and our stakeholders are aligned in what that change means to the organization. And this is really a way to continue to unpack and to continue to cascade those change strategies down throughout different parts of the organization and we wanna make sure we're all rowing in the same direction and all the different parts of the organization are going the same direction. And so making sure we're all aligned and that we have the same vision and definition of what this project means or what this transformation means to us in our part of the organization is something that's very important. And the larger and more complex and more diverse your organization is, the more likely it is that you're going to be misaligned as a team and then when you throw curveballs on top of that, such as macroeconomic or pandemic type of factors that are external to the organization, that creates even more misalignment. So alignment and looking at executive and stakeholder alignment is more important than ever, given all the changes that are happening in the world today. All right, so that's a great segment to end with and to focus on here at the end of our episode, talking about digital strategies and uh, the things you need to be aware of in defining your digital strategy and roadmap for 2024 and beyond. Change management is obviously one of the most important things you can do, if not the most important thing you can focus on in making your digital strategy successful. As much as technology is changing, the fact of the matter is, even though it hurts to say it, people just don't change and will never change anytime soon as fast as technology changes, especially now that the rate of change is changing so quickly and it's actually accelerating it becomes even more important that we focus on organizational change management. So that's why those five change strategies are so critical. I'd love to hear from you though. What do you think are the most critical change strategies and what either of the things I mentioned on that list or maybe things I didn't mention on that list of five things for change strategies in your digital strategy, what else would you add to the list? And also I'd be curious to hear for those of you listening, what of all the stuff we talked about here in today's episode, which is all about digital strategy, what are your takeaways and what are some of the things that you think are most important to an effective digital strategy? Or maybe you answer the question in a different way of what did you learn from this episode? I'd love to hear your feedback too and uh, see what additions you have to add to the conversation as well. So uh, thank you in advance for that, that feedback as well. So I want to thank you for joining here today. Uh, I enjoyed this episode. I enjoy this topic quite a bit. Digital strategy is something I spent a lot of my time doing and helping clients with. So I, I really do enjoy chatting about this topic. I'd uh, love to hear from you, though, what, what you found helpful and what you might uh, add to the list here. 
Uh, you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check that out. I want to thank you for being here today. Thank you to the audience and the participation. And thank you to the guests who uh, were mostly unknowingly guests on the show again today. But thank you to them for uh, being part of the show. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week and we will see you soon.